Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out, tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, Josh Peterson and I talk the mess known as the future of DC films and ask when is too much DC a bad thing? We also weigh in with our thoughts on the future of Marvel films after Avengers 4 and can Madden still be considered a triple-A game? All this, plus Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast stops by to talk players to avoid in your upcoming draft. Dylan Manus from the Punched Out Podcast talks the upcoming Mayweather-McGregor fight, another hit song from Plasma Z, and Rob McCallum lets everyone know why Tiny Rails is the PC sim game you've been looking for. It's another heavyweight matchup of podcasting pugilism we have for you today as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And who is here with me but my good friend? He is... Also the host as well. He is the man in the know when it comes to Humanican Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Not much, man. I was just uh, I was sitting here reading that uh, Gordon Ramsay is about to bring Kitchen Nightmares back, so that's pretty exciting for me. Yeah, sadly, that's the most exciting thing that's happened to me today. So, uh, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm just uh, you know getting some podcast stuff. I've done a lot of editing. I have a thousand windows open on my computer. 
That's just an average day at your house with all the stuff that's going on. So what are the shows that are coming up? You mentioned that you've got a lot of windows going on. So what are all those windows telling you about what's coming up for Humanican Media? Well, if you haven't caught it yet, we had uh, Brian got to sit from Super BS, got to sit down with the, uh, or not sit down, but he got to interview the guys from Two Ravens about their new indie game, Wild Heart. And it's one of those pay as, as much as you feel the game is worth type things. It's actually a really, really cool game. So yeah, we have a new Super BS, as always, our weekly podcast. And we have a, uh, what else is coming out this week? Topic Ocalypse, you'll be able to catch some of that and I think that that's that's all right now. If you're in the Orange County, Long Beach, LA area, we, the guys from What About This, are going to be doing a live event coming up here too. So uh, stay tuned to find out how you can get tickets to that. That's great. You've got a lot going on with Humanican Media, a lot of stuff going down. And if they need more info, you can check it out on Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter. Also as well, the Humanican Media YouTube page where you're doing some streaming right now with Uncharted The Lost Legacy. And you've also got stuff coming up from Fortnite and also as well Conan Exiles, correct? Yep, all uh, coming down the pipeline here eventually. Awesome, that's great to hear indeed. And then also as well, I know you've got a review of Hellblades as soon as Sacrifice coming up as well. So that's great to look forward to indeed. As far as us, we've got a great show here today as we talked about in the intro. We've got Rob McCallum, Tyler Baker, and Dylan Manus also stopping by to talk various things within pop culture, whether it's the Mayweather, McGregor fight, whether it's what fantasy football players to avoid in your fantasy football draft. And also as well, Rob McCallum is going to talk some tiny rails later on in the episode as well. Josh, I'll tell you what, you've heard the news over the week that DC has done even more wrangling around with this upcoming film schedule it's almost getting to be like a headache. I mean, I was so happy coming out of Comic-Con, looking toward the future for your DC films as far as their slate, but it seems to get even more convoluted because they're now in talks with Martin Scorsese as far as a Joker origin story coming to the theaters. And then also as well, which will not be, which will not be part of the DCEU is from what I'm told. Then you've got, the Joker, Harley Quinn, love story, that will be part of the DCEU in some form or fashion. But now it's being moved up ahead of Gotham City Sirens. And then you have Matt Reeves telling people first that the Batman is not going to be part of the DCEU, then quickly changing it to it's going to be, of course, a part of the DCEU. So with all that stuff going on and all those films, you know, seemingly a new one added every week in production or down the pipeline, what do you make of what's going on with the confusion and the convoluted future of DC films? For every five movies they announce, we'll probably only see one or two of them. They have this habit of announcing things and not going through with them or just letting them fade out until people stop talking about them. I, I, I heard this stuff about the Joker, and I heard that Jared Leto won't be playing the Joker, and I heard Ben Affleck won't be playing Batman, and Batman won't be part of the extended universe. And at this point, I don't think that DC has the luxury of making movies that aren't part of their DC universe, because if they want to thoroughly confuse people or actually get them turned off of 
something that they have finally put some gotten some momentum behind i think that the perfect way to do that is to not is to make things that aren't connected to their dc universe if they want to not to have separate pieces they need to make them animated films got to remember there's also wonder woman 2 shazam black adam possible flashpoint possible cyborg am i missing something yeah aquaman green lantern corpse correct that you know all these have been talked about yeah, I don't know, man. They're, they need to stop announcing things. They need to do what Marvel does and just like plan out like maybe five or six movies and don't talk about anything else until those are finished or in production at least. They're, they're kind of digging a hole for themselves. They want so bad to get to keep people excited about this stuff that they're actually making people kind of tired of hearing about it. So they need to kind of stick to what they're doing already and don't make things separate. And don't let your, you know, your directors say things that are going to, you know, shoot you in the foot, essentially. Yeah, because it's just really just a mess right now. And people that have interest in the DC universe and want to know more and want to look forward to the stuff, it's hard because a new movie keeps popping up into places. It's, it's like, a, you know, endless musical chairs. Who's going to be in front of who? Which movie is going to be in front of which one? Who's going to be starring when? Is you know, are these original actors going to be in here or are they not? It it's really starting to lose its validity and all the goodwill that it had coming out of Comic Con. So Warner Brothers and DC Films needs to get together and just you know, just like stop, just stop. Oh, Another question is: Do we do we need these movies? Do we need a Joker and Harley Quinn movie? Do we need a Joker's origin movie? I don't care. Like. I don't think in the greater picture, like those are very small things. And I don't know how many people are going to go out. The Joker only works in, in tandem with either Batman or Harley Quinn. You can't, I don't think if you were to put him in his own movie that he would really garner that much interest. We've seen some of it with Chris Nolan's Batman. It's not really a place that we want to go back to revisit. I agree with you. And it just needs to just, they, they need to chill. And just work and focus on what's working within the confines of their universe. In fact, Justice League 2, if Justice League does well, Justice League 2 won't be far behind. They'll announce that as well. So it's, uh, you know, you just tell them to stop. Please, just stop. Just work on what you have. Two, three movies at a time. There you go. And they'd be really, really on the way to, to making fans happy. But... With all this going on and these all these possible stuff in the works and then that's not in the works and then other things that are outside your universe and origin stories, it just makes for a convoluted mess that the general audience and the general public cannot follow. And at some point, they'll just become apathetic and not care about your product at all. What do you think about what's going on with the DC film universe? I don't know at this point what to call it. I think it's almost kind of a mess, but that's just me at this point. Share us your thoughts at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, and humanica media on Facebook and Twitter. So it's going to be a great episode. I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We've got Rob McCallum standing by. We also have Tyler Baker standing by and also as well, Dylan Manus also stopping by later in the program. So got a lot of great interviews with them indeed. Plus also Josh and I are going to be coming back with a lot of other great stuff as well. But first, it's our good friend Plasma Z 
This is Shadows of Chernobyl, and this is the PCC Multiverse. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. The Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast delivers the latest sci-fi news, plus movie and TV reviews with brilliant and insightful commentary. If you haven't listened to the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast before, you will listen to the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast now. What, you think you're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around like that? Watto. I'm telling everyone to listen to the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast. No, they won't. Yes, they will, including you. No, they won't. I'm a Titanian. Mind tricks gonna work on me. Only money. Okay, I don't have money, but please listen to the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast. Sci-fi, from a certain point of view. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from... <coughs> Pop? 
Culture Cosmos. <laughs> we thank you very it's, much for listening. Truly appreciate it's it. Already begun. Yes, it has indeed. And I'll tell you what, he's back again. It's the man, the myth, the legend of Rob McCallum Films, and also one of the awesome individuals now a part of the Tiny Titan Studios team. It's Rob McCallum. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. So happy to have you on the show here. And we just truly appreciate everything that you've done for us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. But we've got to get into some stuff right now. So let's talk first about the awesome project you are now a part of with Tiny Titan Studios. Let's talk some tiny rails. And why does everybody need to know about why they need to get into this great sim game if they haven't gotten into it already? For us gamers out there, we often wonder what the world would be like if it was more of a game or if we could go down the street and see what our world would be like realized as a game. So in December of 2016, before I joined Tiny Titan, they released a game called Tiny Rails. And now it's a train simulator, very casual, it was mobile at first, but now it's launched on Steam. I've come on board as a creative director on it and I'm overseeing where the project is headed. And the, one of the coolest things about it and why it's worth checking out, even if you're not like a huge sim fan, again, it's a casual sim. There's a lot of stuff to do there as, as a sim player and as a bit of an adventure player. But what I love about this game is you get to pilot your train around the entire world. So imagine what it would be like on a train going through Canada, but a pixelized retro 16-bit looking Canada. Or you want to go on Route 66? Well, essentially, you can take the train version of that through our waypoints and visit all the different pixelized versions of your favorite city, Chicago, LA, Las Vegas, New York. You can visit the retroized version of our world in Tiny Rails. There's an intriguing, charming storyline for everybody that's a fan of Stardew Valley. This is very much up that alley. Casual, no pressure, no guns, no bullets. Grow your modest regional grandpa's train line to a uh, multi-car masterpiece that uh, spans the entire globe. And, you know, one of the other cool parts is these aren't just like regular train cars that are like rectangles on wheels. These are wacky train cars. We have a sushi car. We have a taco car. So imagine a giant taco basically as a train car or a giant pizza car. Slice of pizza on there, and, and your cars can level up too. The more you use them, the more they level up, and then they act the actual look different. You got to clean your cars, you got to fix your cars. There's a lot of fun retro stuff to do in this, and but uh, it's also it, about dealing with the passengers as well, correct? You definitely got to make sure the passengers are happy, and everything from uh, ticket price management to making sure your your train is clean enough for them that the right kind of cars are on there in terms of food and entertainment, or if you're a cargo player. You can just ditch all your passenger cars and try to load up as much cargo as you load up from one station and go to another station and become the cargo king of the pixel world, so to speak. And in some of the updates that we got coming out, it really surfaces the cargo game because we're introducing a really brand new feature. It's a heavy sim element. It's that you'll be able to build actual train stations now. And the way you do that is by bringing your train there, seeing what uh, resources are required to build it, going back to your depots and your factories, loading up and then bringing them off and watching that station get built so that you can actually access it now. So we're about to uh, unveil the South America portion of our map. We've, we've got a lot of the world filled in already. We're just missing a few continents, South America, Africa, Australia, and a few in the Middle East. 
South America's next. And we're, we're in unveiling station building and it should be a really key element uh, that goes hand in hand with the storyline, which is very fun and wacky as well. That happens down there. Well, it's, it, obviously I've spent some time with the game as well and I've enjoyed it as well. And like you said, it's really just a, a relaxing laid back adventure. And also one of the great quirks of the game and, and the great nuances I should say is that the game runs in the background. So even when you're away, you don't have it turned on, whether you have it on mobile or whether you get it on the PC, it works in the background so you can see progress made with your railroad company, correct? Yeah, and this was one of the key features that made it so popular on mobile. So like on mobile, it didn't have most of the features that I just mentioned. It was essentially your train, you'd have a market at each town that you would visit in the cities, you'd load up, and then you would set a waypoint and you'd put your phone away. And then you turn your phone back on and you'd see where your, your train is. It could be halfway across the country. Now that we've added more story elements and more sim elements, your train continues to travel in the background, but you just have a lot more to do. And if you want to keep the game on, then you've got stuff to kind of take care of and manage as it travels across Russia, as you go across the Arctic, as, as you weave in and out through Europe, dealing with the storyline that we have there, which also has a little bit of espionage in it, might I say. And you're not the only train company in the world either. You've got to... Grow your masterpiece uh, at the cost of making some enemies with more established rail lines that don't like your little upstart, you know, taking a chunk out of their business. So watch your way as uh, Harold Blackwell and his Railco Corporation try to derail you as you choo choo choose to go all aboard with your uh, conglomerate. This is this is the other problem, though. Like as you start working on a train game, you invariably start making train puns without realizing it. And well, that's what I did with my you know thoughts on the game itself, which you can read at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You can see a, a quite a couple of train puns in there as well, even in the yeah. title, so to speak. But one of the things I wanted to ask you with the game as well, a lot of times when it comes to Steam, there has been a number of games that have transferred over from the mobile platform and ported those games over to the PC realm, some with success, but a lot of other games that have been ported over have not found the kind of robust community that they were hoping when they made the move going, in this case, like I said, in the, in the piece, going uphill mm -hmm. as far as it's concerned to a new station, in this case, PC and Steam. So I ask you, Rob, what was that, you know, I guess, type of thinking and mindset that you wanted to do you, know, you wanted to create for the PC game so that it stands out differently from the already awesome mobile game that's now available. Well, it's uh, it's no. We all know that when you play a mobile game, it's a different experience than when you're playing a console game on uh, the Switch or the PS4, or the Xbox One, which is invariably different than when you're playing a PC game. The orientation, the just the way it feels, all three are kind of their own unique thing. So when we decided that Tiny Rails was going to be a, a good candidate for Steam, first of all, it was part of the Greenlight program and it was lit within nine days, which is pretty kind of uh, a good indication of the fan base that we have for this title. We knew right away we had to do something different and make it special for Steam. We felt it was a great candidate for Steam because then we got to take use of an entire full screen monitor that played at, at 2K or 4K resolution which, you know, I have a 5K iMac and it just looks gorgeous. Even though we're dealing with pixels and a retro aesthetic, it looks really cool to see like 
Mount Rushmore or the Statue of Liberty in New York Or even Harbor. a mini Rob in there as well. There may be a mini Rob in there as, as a passenger, as a VIP passenger. Who knows? We won't say that for sure. So. Secrets revealed. But we knew the visuals alone were worthy of bringing it to Steam, but we wanted that experience to be more PC-like and less idle clicker or idle sim and revisit later, which is what kind of really defined uh, the mobile experience up to that point. So that's, this is where we added the, the ticket management to make the passenger happiness matter more, making the cars cleaner, making sure the cars are fixed and the durability on them instead of combining cars in the way that the mobile game would work. Let's introduce an XP system. So the longer you have the cars on the rails, you know, the better that uh, they do and you can upgrade them to increase their stats, which allows you to carry more cargo or passengers and they have a greater impact for the narrative that players usually almost kind of create themselves around the world that we, we've given them. So we just, we really had to, like you said, it's an uphill battle, like what makes a good mobile candidate? And we've had other titles. Dash Quest is still our, our biggest title out there, even though Tiny Rails is full steam ahead, double pun intended. Um, Dash Quest is, you know, in terms of sales and popularity and fan base is still going incredibly strong, but because that's an endless runner, it didn't feel like a good fit for Steam. Tiny Rails, its look, its feel, its sim mechanics, perfect fit. It's fitting alongside other stuff. People that have played the, the current version in early access, which you can grab for $9.99 on Steam right now before we go full-blown uh, retail, which will probably have a price increase. We'll see probably some mobile-like elements to it, but those are getting massaged into what would be a more proper PC kind of game that suits that experience. The mobile game, on the other hand, which is free to play, of course, with pinch points or, or paywalls, those things aren't even hardly there at all. But they are there. The Steam version, all soft in-game currency, mobile. There is the paywall to access premium stuff. So again, another differentiator that makes the Steam experience, you know, one blanket price, everything unlocked. You can do everything within the game way easier to kind of progress. Again, that's Rob McCallum of Rob McCallum Films, also the creative director of Tiny Rails. You can get it now on Steam and also available on mobile platforms. Rob, as always, it's been a great pleasure, my friend. Thank you, sir. Look forward to the next time. Thank you for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say Rogue One has a more worn feel. And I love it for that because it looks a lot like New Hope where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the Star Trek films. We always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love. And now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story. People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different, watch things that are not related to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell West. Kevin Durant leave and he goes, I'm not going anywhere, this is my team, I'm lead up it for the long haul. If you're into like very strategic style games and the co-op games in general, it's a highly recommended game overall. And it's a sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back here on the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today we thank you so much for listening and oh my goodness it's a great joy indeed i mentioned it so many times as far as being so much part of american culture right now and even actually around the world it's growing by leaps and bounds fantasy football has now grown 
almost like a mega industry all of its own. And with all the drafts pretty much taking place right around now over the next few episodes that we're going to have on, who better to talk a little bit about fantasy football than our new guru of fantasy football, Tyler Baker of DKLegends.com, and also as well, the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast. How are you today? I am well. I'm very well. The Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast. I'll tell you what, if you have not listened to it yet, you, you need to listen to it to get all the information that you, you can on fantasy football. It's available on iTunes and Libsyn. And then also as well, check out all of his articles on DKLegends.com, including his draft kit, which... I'm assuming if you've not taken your fantasy football draft yet, you need to have right there at your side before you go and draft on any entity, whether it's Yahoo, ESPN, what have you. But I also want to talk about some some real players to avoid. You know, those those names that are out there that people traditionally get year after year or someone that others think is a hot name sure. that maybe people should avoid. I know... Ezekiel Elliott, people are avoiding now because of the possible six-game suspension and all that. But then there's also some other players, even Rob Gronkowski. I mean, one of the greatest tight ends of the past few years, when he's healthy, is now (laughs) uh, considered by many entities to be someone to avoid because he can't stay healthy. He's too busy uh, partying and and body slamming people (laughs) in the WWE. But outside of that, who are some names that when they see them available in the draft might be tempted to get, but should stay away from if they want to be successful in their fantasy football team? Sure. Well, you touched on it earlier when you said sometimes it gets to the middle rounds and guys don't know what to do. So they'll see a name that was familiar. So they'll see Adrian Peterson and think, oh my gosh, it's Adrian. I can't believe Adrian Peterson is still available. So exactly. Be, yeah. Be careful of the big name guys. Uh, you talked about Gronk. Now the thing about Gronk, if you get Gronk, for one, you're going to have to pay for him. Now, he's no longer a first-round guy. He's now a second-round guy, which some people see as good value. That's fine, but he played eight games last year, and he finished at tight end 25 or 26. Um, The thing about Gronkowski, if you get him, and if you make it to the fantasy playoffs, and if he is healthy, you're probably going to win your league because Gronk is just so much better than all of the other tight ends out there. But you're talking about a guy that's had chronic back problems. And tight ends, they do a lot of blocking. They go, they catch passes over the middle. And when you catch passes over the middle of the field, you're getting hit from multiple angles by big, angry linebackers. And so the tight end position is a very difficult position. And you're right, he does party a lot. Now, I've read reports where this offseason he's used Tom Brady's body coach. And Tom Brady's done a very good job of taking care of his body throughout his NFL career. That's why he can be at the age that he's at and still uh, be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I don't know how seriously he has taken that. I don't know Rob Gronkowski, so I'm going to take that report with a grain of salt. Uh, So there's definitely a lot of risk with Rob Gronkowski. Jordan Reed is another one. I just wrote a report about Jordan Reed. He has got a foot issue, and when you're talking about tight ends and wide receivers, you don't want foot issues. Those guys have to sprint downfield and make very precise cuts, and they're doing that off of their toes and the ball of their feet. So toe and foot problems for 
for receivers are absolutely devastating. So I am very much avoiding Jordan Reed. And there is a big name guy that I just have to address, and his name is Christian McCaffrey. Now, in fantasy football, everybody wants the shiny new rookie coming up from college that was such a stud. Well, a couple things here. One, every guy that makes it to the NFL was a stud in college. And Christian McCaffrey, I watched his film. I think he is a great player. I don't think he is going to be dominant at the NFL game the way that he was in college. And there's a couple reasons why uh, he has phenomenal quickness. And by quickness, I mean, I mean, he can change directions very quickly. He can juke guys. He can make guys miss. And he is very fast, but he doesn't have acceleration. He doesn't have good acceleration. So he might be fast, but it takes him quite a while to get up to that top speed. And that is not going to work in the NFL. You have linebackers that are very fast you have defensive linemen that are very fast and the between the tackles uh running up the middle of the field success that McCaffrey had in college is not going to transfer into the pros now I do think uh McCaffrey because of his quickness and he has very good hands he's very good at catching the ball I think he's going to be a good receiving target in that offense but he is not going to come into the league and just take over the way that he did in in college and People are drafting him in the third round. He is not a third round pick. And if you disagree and if you want to take him in the third round and if you want to be the guy that got the bright, shiny rookie, I think he's going to put you at a disadvantage. He's more of a fifth, sixth round pick. And I do also want to note that his bench presses at the combine, he benched 10 times and uh, at the combine they benched 225 pounds he only did it 10 times that is not very good and that might account for his lack of acceleration just a lack of strength but a lot of people watch ESPN and this is a guy who has the NFL pedigree his dad was Ed McCaffrey I, I remember watching Ed McCaffrey play he was awesome and so people have latched onto him and it is more of a uh there's more of a persona than there is actually football player there. So I am not going to own Christian McCaffrey. I'm not going to own Brandon cooks. Brandon cooks is an excellent receiver. He's now with the new England Patriots. They run a great offense. And I think that Brandon cooks does some things that no other receiver can do. And I think Bill Belichick, the coach of the new England Patriots understands that he can use Brandon cooks and his speed to occupy a corner and a safety on just about every play he runs routes on well new england's bread and butter is in the middle of the field to the gronkowskis to the julian edelman's to the smaller guys that can get open the running backs coming out of the backfield plus tom brady in his advanced age does not have a strong arm so he's not going to be throwing long passes so people are looking at the production that brandon cooks had in new orleans a lot of that production was on nine routes or just running straight up the field Tom Brady is not going to connect on those passes. So I think that there are some games where Brandon Cooks is going to be absolutely amazing and he could be a good DFS play. But on a week-to-week -week production, I think Brandon Cooks and a lot of times is going to be a chess piece for Bill Belichick to use to dictate to defenses what they do. So there are a couple guys that are going really, really high that I am just avoiding. And you can find those I have on DKLegends.com. I have the 2017 Fantasy Football Players to Avoid, and that will continuously be updated as well throughout preseason.
Also as well, when you consider that the New England offense seems to diversify as well so much to a myriad of receivers than a reliance of just one. Even Gronkowski in his greatest years, there was still so many other receivers getting a, a lot of attention as well that it was really hard to focus in on one key receiver or even running back for the team as far as to follow. So whenever it comes sure. to New England, slot players, wide receivers, running backs, they're always a tough choice if you pick them early in the rounds because of the fact that mm -hmm. the New England offense seems to diversify so much. Absolutely. And I think that's another knock on Gronkowski this year because they know they want to keep him healthy. So they're not going to ask him to catch 10 balls a game. The presence of Gronkowski on the field for 16 games outweighs the production that you would get out of him in eight games, at least from a rational coaching point of view. And you're right. There are so many other weapons there that even if Gronk does stay healthy for 16 games, I don't think that they're going to need to rely on him. I don't think that they're going to rely on him for that production that maybe you've seen in years past because they have so many weapons. That team is an embarrassment of riches. It really is. I think they're the best team in football, but for fantasy purposes, they are a very hard team to gauge because they will beat teams in so many different ways. And Bill Belichick is such a genius that he makes it look easy. So if a defense shuts down a couple guys, he's got a couple other guys to go to. He's he's just a genius. Couldn't agree with you more on that. He definitely knows the ins and outs probably better than anyone else in football at this point in time. Who can doubt his success in the, in the football Absolutely. realm as far as so many championships and, and obviously the way he seems to manipulate the game, whether he should dictate whether it's the, you know a unsung running back that's going to get a yep. great amount of or, or maybe even if Tom Brady gets hurt, suddenly these, these quarterbacks, which you've never heard of, Garoppolo <laughs> or what have you, seem to come out of the woodwork and he, they succeed in his system as well. And I think that speaks volumes of his coaching Absolutely. ability. Tyler Baker's articles on DKLegends.com and the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt podcast is definitely the place you need to go to for all the latest information on fantasy football. Tyler, it's been great having you on today's show. We truly appreciate you being part of the PCC Multiverse. Thank you very much. And in the future, remember, you got a guy. You got awesome. a fantasy football guy now. <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's our fantasy football guru. It is Tyler Baker from DKLegends.com and also the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. And we thank him so much for being now a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. What's up, guys? It's Rob McCallum, host of The Trenches. If you don't know what that is, well, I'm going to tell you. Every now and then I call up friends, colleagues, and sometimes people I don't even know and chat with them for an hour or so. It's all unscripted, unedited, and unpredictable. Why should you care? Well, if you're a creative person like me, you'll get to hear unbelievable and incredible stories because the one through line that connects all my guests is that they make their living doing something creative in the trenches. Get it? So from filmmakers to animators to action figure sculptors and authors, we talk with a lot of folks and no one has the same story. So check out The Trenches here on the Pop Culture Cosmos or on iTunes. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. If you get a chance, please check us out. 
where we're one of the top shows on the podcast radio network. We truly appreciate every single person that goes on there as well and listens to our show each and every week. And also the number one show, six months in a row, every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, and Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on a podcast radio network. It's Attack of the Humanicans. Well, if you cannot catch us on the podcast radio network, no problem. You can always download our shows on Apple Podcasts, Tune in the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, Cast Crunch, Social Podcasts, and PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. And if you stream or download our show, we'll always throw a bonus in there for you just because we truly appreciate you downloading and listening to our show. So, Josh... We talked about DC a little bit earlier in the podcast. want to talk to you a little bit about Marvel this time because Marvel Avengers 4 is now filming. But I ask you, we've already talked about the future going into Marvel and the Affinity War and all that. And obviously Marvel executives haven't beaten around the bush when it comes to saying that there will be a lot of familiar heroes that will be meeting an an unfortunate doom at some point in time in the Infinity War saga, whether it's Avengers 3 or Avengers 4. I ask you this pointed question now, and we'll probably ask that again somewhere down the line as well, and maybe we can reevaluate as far as our thoughts on it. But I'll think of it like a car wash. When your car wash goes in from one side, all dirty, and it gets to go through the process, and it comes out on the other side clean as a whistle, do you think the... Marvel Cinematic Universe will come out just as squeaky clean and just as well and just as good for the future when it comes out the other side of the Infinity War, aka Avengers 4, come 2019. I don't think so. I have a feeling that either Captain America or Iron Man will die, but I also, at the same time, I don't want to say that because just think of the box office potential if they were to wait like three or four years and then bring Captain America or Iron Man back for something. I think that'd be a good way to get people back into the theater, like say as like a secret weapon, if people were to begin to be getting burnt out on these Marvel films. But but Robert Downey Jr. has all but hinted that his time is running very short with uh, Iron Man in that series. Yeah. Well, so has Chris Evans. He's, he's made a few mentions of that too. I don't know. I like. I don't know what's gonna happen because they need these heroes to to stay in there. But at the same time, if people keep expecting them to show up in things, they're not going to be able to start unraveling these new stories that they want to tell. They can't like say, "Oh, like uh, I want to watch Captain Marvel movie or whatever." But uh, it'd be cool if they threw Iron Man in there. It, it cr- opens this door for Marvel to have to start getting creative with their storytelling. So we won't have like a Spider-Man where Tony Stark comes in or something. They're going to have to base essentially rebuild the Marvel universe. And they're going to have to rebuild it with characters and actors and actresses that the public is not generally always familiar with because Brie Larson is not a household name at this time. She could blow up like, Gal Gadot has with Wonder Woman, and I'm hoping that that's the case with her performance. But then, you know, there's so many others down the road that could possibly be in the same situation as well, because 
I, I have a, a very uncertain future in regards to the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming out the other side of Avengers 4. I just don't see the same kind of attitude that we all developed on this side of the Infinity War. So I'm very concerned with what comes out after Avengers 4. And, and you know, like you say, you, both you and I have said as far as Captain Marvel's concerned and anything going forward in the future as far as Ant-Man and the Wasp and, and uh, so many other movies that they have coming down the pike, I'm just kind of worried that they're not going to be as... Uh, I don't know if it doesn't have the Chris Evans, the, the Robert Downey Juniors, the Mark Ruffalos, and, and just all the, the people who have made Marvel what it is today, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth. If it doesn't have those top flight actors playing those roles anymore, it just it looks like uh, the future is going to take a lot of time for the Marvel universe to be brought back up to a level because i think after avengers 4 there's still going to be this natural crowd reaction of a letdown i think there's just going to be a letdown of some type i don't envy the first marvel movie that comes after avengers 4 you see what i, I does it am i making sense as far as what i'm trying to say is like i think people will be finally burnt out after that point well, it's it's gonna be like when Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy ended. Like it didn't end on a high note, but it ended with possibilities of a future. But at the same time, we knew that we weren't gonna get another one. At least not with those actors, not with the uh, the same tone that we came to know and love. And I feel like going forward, uh, the Marvel universe is going to be something completely different from what uh, we kind of came forward watching as as far as like from the start went. They're gonna have to rebuild it they're gonna have to have new characters new baddies new you know any avengers movies going forward are gonna have to have something that tops thanos and i don't envy the person who has to do that big shoes to fill coming up or anyone down the road that wants to try and tackle that one after avengers 4 what are your thoughts on the marvel universe come 2019 when avengers 4 hits the screens do you do you fear for the marvel universe is going to be a really a lot emptier and a lot less intriguing and fun to watch after Avengers 4? Are you going to be burned out? Are you going to have a, a tough time getting back into it at that point in time? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, Head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back to the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there being part of the broadcast here today. I want to thank everybody, not only on a podcast radio network, but our, our entire lineup of downloading and streaming options for tuning in to us today. We truly appreciate it. And I just wanted to take some time out today to talk a little bit about some mixed martial arts. And who better to talk some mixed martial arts than the one of the best mixed martial arts podcasts that's available on the internet today. It's the Punched Out Podcast now available on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Stitcher, and Google Play. He is the host of the Punched Out Podcast. It's 
Dylan Maness. How are you, Mr. Maness? How are you doing today? Just so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well out here in Vegas. It's already, the hype's already going down with all the stuff that's going on with Mayweather and, and McGregor. It's going to be just, just a real, just a barn burner to come this weekend. You know, Vegas gets wild when, when the big fight comes around. And first thing I want to get into, is this actually the, this fight, this mega fight, which some are not calling a mega fight, they're calling it something else, but you know, obviously a lot of money is going to change hands. There's, there's big pay-per-view theaters around the, the country are going to be tuning into it. Everybody's going to be watching with great interest. I want to ask you first, as someone who follows the MMA scene, probably better than anyone out there, is there a chance that Conor McGregor, who, I mean, if you listen to him, he'll, he'll have Floyd Mayweather down in two rounds, but is there actually a chance for Conor McGregor to not only survive the fight, but actually come out on top this weekend. So here's how I, I broke it down. I broke it down on my show and I, and I broke it down to uh, some other people that's, that's got with me to break it down. Conor's best chance of winning is his chances go up uh, exponentially in the first four to five rounds. I think you just watch Conor McGregor just kind of fall to the style that we've seen countless fighters fall to over and over with with Floyd's movement, his tactical style of point fighting that he does. So I think within the first four to five rounds, there's there's that chance that definitely has. If I see it happening within that, I think it will be a left hook, uh, probably stepping off of a punch that – maybe overthrows, maybe a, a Jose Aldo type thing, but I think it'll be a fading away left hook. Uh, that's actually a, a, you know, a very good observation because he, the people that said that McGregor might have a chance is because he may go in it, it, with an unorthodox style. Obviously, that's something that Mayweather may not have seen for a while or has not seen at all as far as that type of style is concerned. So definitely that, that's a good way of approaching it with the left hook. Mayweather right now is the heavy favorite. Actually, at one time, he was much, much stronger than that. But the money is coming in on McGregor's side, right over left, hand over fist. I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are putting too much money on McGregor. But it, it's nice to see that that he's getting some love as far as the fight is concerned. But I'm, I really am, am wary of someone actually stepping the ring into this type of format without a whole ton of experience facing even what many consider Mayweather to be on the downside. Would that be correct? I guess that you could say that that it could be correct. Because Mayweather, really yes, he, he is still one of the best defensive fighters out there, but he is in decline. This is, will, will be regardless, most likely his last fight that he said. If he's taken it all seriously, you know, he could still – uh, he should still be favored quite substantially over someone that's relatively new in the in the ring. I feel that way as well. I mean, he's probably one of the best boxers to ever grace the ring. Um, so when you when you bring somebody in that that hasn't ever boxed before, you he should be a favorite. But what a lot of folks that only are Mayweather fans got into their head is that 
because Connor's not a boxer, then he can't compete with with Floyd. But they don't really look at Connor the way that the world looks at Connor when they have such a closed boxing mind. <laughs> that's true. And that's the boxing world. And also when you, you send yourself around McGregor, that's his world as well, correct? Yeah, I think that anybody that is to doubt Connor McGregor uh, for anything is they they're just dead wrong. I mean, uh, four to five years ago, he was, he was cashing a government check and now he's fighting in one of the most highly paid fights in history. Uh, that that's actually some great points from where he came from, from where he's been to how he got to the top of the UFC. You know, when in boxing, they say you always have a puncher's chance. And definitely if, if he's can sneak in, uh, like you said, a left hook or, or something that, that will, confuse and, and cross up uh, Mayweather, that definitely is, is sh- you know, whenever you're in there with two combatants like that, you know, obviously that that's always in play. Uh, but, you know, May- Mayweather uh, just, it, it's hard to go against Mayweather because of it's in a traditional boxing form, but you never know. It's, it's like they're in the ring. Anything is liable to happen. And with those two, anything just might. It's real hard to just really process a lot. But what you do have to realize is, is they got the smaller gloves. I think that plays into Connor's favor a lot more because Connor's used to throw in the smaller gloves, even though the UFC are even smaller. It it also gives Floyd less of a, a glove barrier to block with. Uh, that's correct. It's going to the eight ounce uh, gloves, correct from the usual 10 or 12 ounce. Yes. And, and I think that it also has agreed that, Connor can use any type of glove. Originally, when this fight came out, it was said that he couldn't use any Mexican-made gloves. Uh, and when talking to boxers and I ask them about why he can't use a Mexican-made glove, it's because they they call Mexican-made gloves puncher's gloves, and they have a, a harder padding at the end and make, make the punches harder. Um, so from my understanding, they, they tried to outlaw the Mexican-made gloves uh, out of Connor's favor, but I think they're back in with the eight ounces. Well, that's definitely some great points because if he's able to get any kind of reach and slip the defenses of Floyd Mayweather Jr. and obviously try and get there and catch him with a blow with those lighter gloves, it could really, really make a difference and it could actually end up surprising and shocking a lot of people. Well, that's some great points indeed from Dylan Manus. He is the host of the Punched Out Podcast. If you have not caught his awesome podcast as of yet, he is back on the air and you just got to check his podcast out. It's the Punched Out Podcast available right now on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Dylan, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show and I tell you what, it's just I'm hoping that we can, you know, you can come back on the show in the future to talk MMA anytime you like. And I'm hoping you you will do that. And and definitely looking forward to to having you on the Pop Culture Cosmos at some point in the future. I would absolutely love to continue to come on your show. And anytime you have MMA related questions, just shoot them at me. And uh, I'd love to come on here and discuss things with you. Awesome, awesome indeed. So that's Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast. We truly appreciate him being part of the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. 
Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being here today as we close out the show and josh before we head into our last subject don't forget our one year anniversary that's right one year of pop culture cosmos is on monday 10 30 p.m eastern 7 30 p.m pacific on the podcast radio network as well you were saying oh celebrating i just said hey hey indeed yes so Hopefully we'll have some good stuff to talk over indeed. So before we head on out, I just want to ask you this. Uh, Madden came out uh, this week. It's another year of Madden, my friend. And I want to ask you, I remember the time when I was running game stores and I got criticized for prioritizing FIFA ahead of Madden. I just at that time already saw on the horizon that the future of Madden was not going to be as bright as the fifa franchise i guess i called it right i'm not going to try and hear pat myself too much on the back but i I think i called it right and fifa's now become this worldwide phenomenon both in soccer obviously and watching it and football however you want to say it uh, and also game wise as far as a mainstream type deal all across the world where Madden has kind of either stayed on plateau or kind of drifted a little bit lower and lower each year sales-wise. So I ask you, Josh, do you still consider Madden a AAA franchise? So I don't know if you listened to the last episode of the Super BS Games cast. We were talking to Dave's brother, Tom, about it, and he's a big uh, advocate for Madden. I was asking him, what is it that would drive people to this game? What makes it different? Because I know a lot of people play these games and they'll – They'll trade last year's players to kind of match up the rosters to this year so they don't have to go out and buy a new game. And I was asking him about it, and he said, I guess Madden's working hard. They're putting a, uh, a new story mode in there, and they're trying to, to draw fans back into the franchise and give them more to do than just play football. But I know this year is the first year they've used the Frostbite engine. Yeah, and so I guess like all the movements look better, the the, the shoulder movements and the running, you don't, it's not all uh, boxy and pixelated. So, you know, it, it could be good, it, I, but as far as like calling it a AAA title, it it sells enough to be considered a AAA title, but I, I just don't think that it's one of those games that can kind of pool uh, new gamers into it. It's, it's one of those games that when your friends play it, you're going to buy it, but, um, you know, I've never really much been interested in it myself. I think it had that cachet of being a AAA franchise and actually drawing consumers into buying systems. And I think at one time it could move systems and it could move as far as a lot of of interest one way or the other as far as gameplay is concerned. I thought thought that it, it really stood out. Obviously, a lot of people were bummed when NFL 2K series went by the wayside, but I, I understand that Madden is the deal right now because it just came out, but it feels like that Madden still doesn't have that je ne sais quoi, that panache, that glitter and shine that it once had. Maybe it's because it's gone so many iterations now, but I have a feeling it's just the fact that well, a lot of these people, 
people that actually sat down and played it have moved on with other things in their lives or other games in their lives. And one of those is FIFA because the rise of FIFA has, I think, coincided with the drop in Madden as far as interest in sales per se. And you, yes, you're right. Madden still sells a ton of copies out there. But I think the shine has worn off of Madden as being a premier franchise. It's very possible that Madden's days could be numbered. We'll just have to wait and see. Look at the sales. But yeah, I mean, I personally, if I had to pick between Madden and FIFA, I would go for FIFA. And I would as well, because like I said, it, FIFA to me is, it seems like it's now a full-fledged experience. And it is the top of the ladder when when EA is now talking about its franchises. And to me, it's more worldwide and a global phenomenon as far as not only from a sports for, perspective, but also a video game perspective as well. What are your thoughts on Madden? Do you still look forward to the release? Well, now it's out in the wild. Do you still look forward to, to Madden being the number one choice every year as far as sports games are concerned? Or do you think that Madden has already seen its best days gone by already? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, and Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, any last thoughts on the way out as far as, uh, you know, what's coming up the road next week, including our one-year anniversary? No, but did you hear the news today about the uh, Final Fantasy Assassin's Creed crossover? That's I like- did indeed, yep. It, it was kind of weird to look at at first, but then it's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, All right. I'm interested. I'm totally interested. They have they designed new areas, new mini games, a new little uh, campaign. They're doing a great job of keeping Final Fantasy 15 alive after the, the game has been done. That's something that they have not done very well in the past, and at least it's a good sign for, for gamers out there that they're doing a better job of it going forward. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford, and it's another beautiful day right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Uh, All right, welcome to What About This, Episode 9. We're back after a little bit of a break. We kind of took a little bit of the summer off for some travels and for some other stuff. So we're back, though. And this episode, we are talking about comedy and the role of comedy in society. So we hit a couple different topics. We talked about sort of political correctness and the boundaries and and why comedians and comedy sort of get a pass on that sort of stuff. We talked about the different types of comedy um, and and why we like them, why we don't like them. Um, But we really tried to get into... Uh, what is comedy and what, why does it do what it does, which is what we've come up to. is just like, how does it 
how is it so good at sort of revealing truth and revealing some of the deeper things that we see or that they, that stand-up comedy comedians see and, and reveal to us? Um, and so we talked about a, a lot about that and how people react to comedy and how we uh, deal with with certain topics um, and how comedy can help us process and help us understand those things just a little bit better. So we hope you guys like this episode. Um, as always, find us on Facebook, uh, find us on Twitter, um, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, do all those things. Let us know uh, what you think and, and give us some feedback. All right. Hope you enjoy the episode. Brank here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Welcome to What About This, episode nine. Today we're going to be talking about comedy. Uh, So about a month ago, um, my wife and I went to see John Mulaney, a brilliant stand-up. We went for our anniversary. Um, He was out here, out on the uh, West Coast, doing a sort of just a quick run. We went and saw him, and he did this this just fantastic bit. I won't say it because I don't want to ruin it, but fantastic bit on the sort of the current political climate and wherever you land whatever I'm, I, we won't get into that either but he just did this and it just sort of cut to the heart of some of the issues that people have with the current politics of today in America so and, and I was just and while I was there I was laughing it was it was great I loved it um, but then I was starting to think like as I kind of afterwards and was thinking about it and processing it I thought like why is comedy so good at that why is comedy so good at just calling out what's wrong, calling out when someone's sort of, what's the truth behind something in a way that like, that you don't always, if you are on one side or the other, you don't get offended or you don't you know, react a certain way, you laugh, right? But then it does cause you to think and cause you to consider, oh, that's true. Like, like I really, they, they actually were saying a lot of truth in there, even though it was funny sort of in this, this, this sort of disguise of humor. So my question for this episode is, why is comedy so good at that? What is the role of comedy in society today? Why do we need it? Uh, do we need it? Anything like that? So, so I just want to talk about how comedy can accomplish this sort of release while allowing us to think about things. I think personally, I think um, because and this is going to sound very like cliche. I don't necessarily mean it as like a blanket statement, but especially I think nowadays as um, as we live in a time that's very like sensitive and uh, very, um, I think the best way to put it is like not wanting to look in the mirror or say the wrong thing or believe the wrong thing. And so when you bring something up in like a comedic way, then it takes the it takes the edge off of the news. Right. Like like for example, on like SNL Weekend Update. Right. Weekend Update is great because it is it is serious yeah. <laughs> in that it is like it is delivering news stories in the way that like hey but if you think about it here's right. what's actually happening right um and like so it, what it, what it's doing is like 
the weekend update while we're like, you know, everybody's cracking up and yeah. because because it is funny, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily funny what they're saying. It's one of those where you go, oh, it's funny because it's true. Right. Do, do you think also it's because people like to see other people get called out on things? And I guess comedians kind of get more of a a free pass when it comes to right. saying things that other people are thinking but are too yeah. afraid of offending people so they don't say it themselves. Yeah, it's like a, it's like, a, I think part of the laughing is like a, like a, yes, thank you. Like, finally, like somebody, like somebody is like actually saying it instead of just delivering the story or talking about this certain topic and not, they're, they're laughing because somebody is finally saying what potentially a lot of people have, have always been thinking right. about one topic or another. And honestly, in the other way is they say it in a way that even though we've all been thinking it, they say it in a way that we didn't think of before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or they say it in a way that it becomes so natural. Like, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Travis, you and I were, have talked about this, especially with like one of the greatest stand-up comedians, Jerry Seinfeld. Right? Amen. Um, and we'll, we'll talk. I, and so one of the things I think of with Jerry Seinfeld that I've noticed is like he's, he's what I would call the smartest man in the room comic. Yeah. So he goes up on stage and says things that he knows to be true, and he says it in such a way that he knows that he said it the best way, right? Yeah. But what we've talked about too, Travis, is that he says it in a way that you think you said it. Yes. You think you thought it first. Yes. And he was just saying what you thought already. Yeah, he, he kind of... He, he is the smartest guy in the room. Right. And he's the funniest guy in the room. But as part of his genius is he makes you believe you thought of it first. Right. So he, he I guess, generously, <laughs> he generously brings you into his world and realm right. and helps you see things that you, you unconsciously knew, right. but he brought them to your consciousness. Right. It's the same thing with Kramer as I finally realized, if we're going to just go with Seinfeld for a minute, yeah. is the genius behind Kramer, because I, I, I didn't think I'm a big slapstick guy, um, but what I realized is I like genius slapstick. And Kramer is the genius slapstick. So there's an episode where there's a light shining from a restaurant, uh, like a sign, and he opens the door, if you've seen the show, and he, you know, in Kramer fashion, flies back. And I realized what Kramer was doing in there was he was, (coughs) what he was doing was, he was, in fact, drawing out the emotion like what you feel you wouldn't do it because it's ridiculous right that's a ridiculous reaction because we control those emotions or those reactions and he tapped into with his body exactly what you feel when you walk out of a movie theater right or when you when you walk into a crazy bright light or whatever it is um and so you look at that and you go oh my gosh he tapped into something true and i think i don't know but based on what you're saying with stand-up and and Josh's question, I mean, to Kyle's point about uh, SNL is comedy gives us a platform mm-hmm. that we almost, we need. It's a therapeutic. Right. And so we have decided as a society that those are certain circles or platforms via right. sitcoms, via, you, if, you go, if you go into a stand-up, look, look to be offended. Right. But right. what it does is it almost goes, hey, we're all going to come together tonight. And what we're going to do is we're going to agree that this guy might say some offensive things to one person in here or another. And we're, we all agree that we're going to be cool with it. Right. We're going to – it, and I think at the end and where I kind of want to go is comedy actually is just speaking truth. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and here's here's the great thing too. Speaking of like being offended, and Jerry Seinfeld, um, if you watch comedians in cars getting coffee, when he is with Bill Burr, and Bill Burr brings up the topic, he says, "You know, it's funny um, within being a comedian." And he goes, "It's always like when you're telling jokes, it's always jokes to people until it's something you care about." Right. And he goes, he goes, so all of a sudden, he goes, so, all, so like, you're at my, you're at my stand-up comedy show, and you've been laughing and laughing and laughing, and then all of a sudden, I say something that just, like, hits, hits right. close to home, and it's all of a sudden, like, hey, that's not funny, you can't say that. Right. And he goes, oh, so, he goes, and so then all of a sudden, in their eyes, all of a sudden, I'm not joking anymore. Right. Like, I have been, like, like yeah. so I've been telling jokes the whole time, and now, because you don't like it, now I'm serious. It's no longer a yeah. joke, but it was a joke while I was offending somebody else. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a funny thing, a feature of comedy, is that we, the best stand-up com- comedians make you forget that they're a stand-up comedian. Hmm. They they're just up there talking. When you forget that they've spent hours, days, weeks, years writing, honing their craft, like putting in the work, touring, going on the road, and then they're they've crafted this persona, they've crafted these jokes. It's not like they're just going up there and saying these things off the cuff. I mean, some comedians will say some things off the cuff, but most of them have an act that they've written but and they're memorized. Very prepared. Right? They they've. I mean. Jerry Seinfeld, if we're going to keep going to him, is a is famous for being just this wordsmith. Like, we'll work a joke out and out, like everywhere's carefully weighed and stuff. So, kind of to your point, it's not like, and and Burr is sort of like the one of the most. He's a brilliant comedian, but he's sort of loves to be like push those buttons. He just Absolutely. loves it, right? Yeah, and that's great. But he still he has a craft. Like they're not just guys that just go up there and like just they're not they're again. To use a cliche, they're not your drunk uncle going up there and just spouting off. No, right? these they're, guys are the smartest guys right, out there. They're 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 very careful. They're very prepared. They're they're artists, right? They they it's a, it's something they work on. So it's like so yeah, it's like yeah, all of these work. I'm telling jokes. I'm telling jokes. And as soon as I cross an imaginary an arbitrary line that you've drawn, mm-hmm. it's like then that's too much. I, I'm not. Most of the stuff they say, they don't either. They it's not that they don't believe it, but like it's this. No, it's an observation. Right. It's an they, observation. They're just like saying it. They're not. Some of them are saying it for the joke, rather than like that's not maybe even what I would say if it was like me, if it was Bill Burr, like the husband, father, whatever. It's Bill Burr, the comedian. He would say something that's different. So you know, it's another great outlet that addressed this that you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't necessarily think that they would, that, but they did. Was uh, Seth MacFarlane on Family Guy? Mm. They're making because. And he, I think, would tell you before anybody, he, he like, I think he is an equal opportunity offender. Oh, To where, like, he is going to go after pretty much every group at some point. Yeah. And at one point in one episode, they're making a joke where, like, they're in church. And, like, one of the characters in it that, like, is, like, like, the Christian on the show gets really angry. And a guy comes up to him and just, like, puts his arm on his shoulder and goes, there's nothing you can do. And he goes... I guess I'm just gonna have to develop a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like that's it right there, where he goes like the guy's basically telling him like there's nothing you could do, man. Like just right. recognize that it's a joke. Yeah, exactly. And so he's not really talking to the guy as much as he's talking to right. the audience. Yes, yeah. I think these guys they, I think you said earlier, almost prophetic in a sense. They're speaking yeah. in the culture, and a lot of times guys are speaking in the culture or speaking in the times, speaking right. the truth. The truth is very offensive. Right. And so they don't even necessarily have to take a side, 
But you could see some, you know, go back to your Bill Burr on Communities and Cars, he said, he said, the thing about like you, he said, you have some, to Seinfeld, he says, you have some serious contempt for this world. Mm-hmm. But you come off as this like, oh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld. And he's like, no, you, you, that, that's a persona. Right. Like, um, that's something you're giving off. And it's in the subtlety where you're like, oh, he's ticked or he's, he's very irritated. Right. He's very annoyed at people. But the way he delivers it, you're like, it's like upbeat. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so you have these guys, they get up or they write Seth MacFarlane, right? They write these shows and they play on, they're, 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 they're kind of, they're hitting people where it hurts on both sides a lot of times, right. or maybe they're one-sided, but it's right. irrelevant Which to the funny. point, yeah. you know, is that is, I think the genius in it and they see things. And I think Steve Harvey said this, he said, look, we, <clears throat> he said, we have the joke three months before. Yeah. He said, so we have the joke the moment the tragedy happens. Mm-hmm. And then we have to wait a few months into, until it's died down and now we could crack a joke about it. And it's weird because they get this stage where people will even go in there and forget like, yo, man, like this is, this is what they're doing. They're going to get up on a stage and they're going to offend people right. on some level. And you just have to be, <coughs> you have to be cool with it. But what he's saying, but what Steve Harvey's really saying is like, hey, we're like smarter than you. Right. And that's what I, I think... When you get into light. But is that false? I mean, they they do see the world in a different way than we do, I guess. I, I think I think that well, I think that they choose to be comedians so that they don't have to um, censor what they're really well, going right, through so to a degree. I think that's probably, right, right. I think that's a big part of it too, <laughs> is they are number one, it, it's possible that they are smarter, but what they are is more bold. And right. like, man, I could have thought of something like maybe messed up to say about that situation where people will laugh, but like, oh, they're actually saying it. Right. Like he'll actually say it. Yeah, well, you have to say it at the water cooler to your buddy Steve. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. you can't you yeah. can't go you can't go viral on it because <laughs> you can't send an all company email. Yeah. <laughs> right. No all staff man. <laughs> right. But but I think there's something here that that and this is where I you know so I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and I've been a stand up comedian. Fan. Fan, stand-up comedy fan for... I almost thought you were going to tell us you were a stand-up comedian. No, I thought you were no, pausing, too. No, no, like no, I think no. you said, and I've been a stand-up nope. comedian. I was like, I've been a fan of comedy. What can't you do, Keith? <laughs> I've been a fan of comedy for a long time. My brother, it's, my brother and I like accidentally saw the very first episode of South Park. We didn't even realize it. It was just a cartoon that came on, so we started watching it. Um, and like we, and we, Comedy Central, all these things, we watch stand-up specials. Um, do you think you could be a stand-up comedian, Keith? Probably not. Not a good one. I could get up on a stage and attempt to tell jokes. Mm-hmm. I don't think people would like it. Well, if this happens, we'll let everybody know. We'll probably I, have I, you at the live show. Yeah. I can see you like telling a joke, and then three minutes later, they'll finally get it, and they'll be like, ah! It's too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but so, I, so I've, I'm really interested in comedy. I like hearing comedians' processes and stuff. And so one of the things that I, I think is a constant sort of debate or conversation among comedians is like, um, is how, how much should or does comedy have to push boundaries? Like, and, and I would say like- So like it, tasteful stand-up, if you will? Not, well, not just, ta- but like there are certain like, so there are certain, just certain topics that we as a culture have considered taboo we never discuss. And you will routinely see comedians come up with bits on just those topics, right? Yeah. So it's like, and, and like one of my favorites right now and 
I'm not going to say, I'm not going to recommend any or all of these comedians to everybody. And this is what I would say, like, don't, like, jump and go see this. Like, run out and find this guy's stuff, although he's great. So if you just, just check know, him out. Know your limits. Yeah, know your limits. He, his name is Anthony Jeselnik, mm-hmm. who is just, like, a brutal comic. Like, he will just destroy, like, any of your most sacred subjects. Like, he will just take it and just ruin it for you. I think he's hilarious because of that. Like, it's, it's almost in the uncomfortableness that you have to laugh. But, so it's like, where is the, ba- like, it does, should, should comedy have boundaries in this, like, because it is about speaking truth, and a lot of times it's about speaking truth to power, because we can talk about whether comedians can be funny only t- speaking about people in power, can you ever be a good comedian kind of talking down to people, or speaking, pe- like, making fun of people who don't have power, and we'll talk about that. Do, but, you, do you think, though, that there's almost a pressure on them to do stuff like that? Well, that's, that's kind of my, what a lot of them talk about, how, like, some of them won't, some of them will. I mean, some of the best comedians, like uh, Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, are fairly clean, fairly, they're not, not that they're not controversial, but they're fairly straight, straightforward, like, they don't try right. to push that kind of envelope. They push other envelopes of like... Well, every you know, comedian has somewhat of an, an right. agenda, uh, right? And their agenda, they have their own, their, their, what you might call their lane or like their, their genre or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering like, is comedy only comedy when it's pushing boundaries? And I don't mean like, is it funny? I mean, as, as an entity, as this thing we call comedy, does it need to have this boundary pushing, this envelope pushing limit? Like, do we need to have them do that? Or can it be funny? Even Can it be comedy? Can it be what we've been talking about? Speaking truth well, without sp- that? Well, I think, I think speaking of Brian Regan, who is, so who is he's a genius so and in, in his approach. And like right. you said, he doesn't, you know, I think a lot of times people think of the cussing, dirty joke, right. stand-up comedian. You're like, I don't find that funny. I find that, I find that um, anti-intellectual and I think comedy right. at, at its best is when you have these guys who are thinking through these right. issues almost like anybody can make a dirty bathroom right. joke right um, everybody has access to that type right. of humor which is funny but not the best type of funny yes yeah like but it's it's very it's 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 I don't know it's like okay. nick- it's like someone giving you a nickel right you know but, like, like, when ah, thanks, but, but, but when your son Tyson poops on you that's kind of funny for people watching, I'm sure. <laughs> for me, like if I saw it live, I would be funny for that's, that's, that's not the that's best type of comedy, yeah. but it's that's funny. That's situationally funny. It's not, but it's not right. funny to, to hear some an, another grown man talking about a, another grown man pooping, like, pooping on him. Yeah. I guess I don't yeah. know. That I also, mean, also, also, also kind of that, that sentence started, and I didn't know <laughs> where it was going to end. I was nervous <laughs> for you. But what yeah. I'm saying is, bad, like crass humor like that is funny but it's not in your sense it's not like Brian Regan funny who is just one of the geniuses yes okay yeah I'll I'll admit yeah Yeah. for sure like there's there are there is the well yeah so the fart joke it's elementary school funny yes absolutely so I think when you get into these you're talking about boundaries in in, in, within comedy so that's another even boundary or kind of if you will territory but I think at the very core is, I would say comedians are tapping into, or which is the observation part, they're tapping into something that is true. And Brian Regan has this yeah. bit about um, growing up playing baseball, and they teach us, hey, better, better, hey, better, better, swing, better, swing. And then he goes, where do you use that? Why did they teach you to right. do that? You use that in accord a lot, like, you know, sue, lawyer, sue. <laughs> and so... <laughs> 
the genius there is how silly, how right. ridiculous right. it is for us to chatter. All right, let's hear some chatter. And he kind of goes into that bit. And <laughs> Grape is favorite. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, yeah, he goes into the but kid he, and the outfield. he's pointing at the absurdity of it. Exactly. Right. But, but what is that? It is absurd. Right. It's absolutely absurd for right. a bunch of people to be yelling at the kid who's up to bat and going, hey, <laughs> you know, and you kind of right. go, so, so when you say, is there a role? To challenge, um, if you will, people in power Mm -hmm. and people who are um, doing whatever evil or wrong things. Can can we crack jokes about those in positions, victims and stuff? And you go, okay, I would say it doesn't take away the humor. Right. And the humor, like if you could crack, like everyone has cracked one. Everyone Mm -hmm. has heard a joke where you're going, oh man too far but you went but what but why is because the reality of that situation is true Mm -hmm. and the joke didn't make it less true but the joke revealed how true it is and because it's sad but but see to me what that would mean is it's pointing more i i sorry finish with that because i have a thought so is that it it exposed the reality of that situation i think that's what comedy actually does is exposes reality and I think mm-hmm. I think there's a need for it, even because you have people in psych wards, the, the guys that work there, they get to a point and all they have left <laughs> is laughter because it's right. so sad. Yeah. And so sometimes, sometimes I think we joke right. because that is an expression of how we deal with, even when it's, even when it's sad, even right. when it's this, it's like you don't, right. you can't, you can't go there, man. Right. And you go. What you're doing is you're avoiding the truth, right? But I think you have a responsibility as a. I would say I. I think culture, like in a society, right. and maybe even these guys, they have a responsibility to not misuse their right. genius. I would agree. Mm-hmm. And no, I was saying like what you were, what you were saying, talking about like touching on things that are sad right. is. It is. I believe that some people like rely on comedy to go like, man, it's actually really sad. But the fact that there's like this joke coming out of it is like, it's really, it's like, it yeah. helps. I yeah. think like, like what I love on going back to Weekend Update, and you even you said like everybody has like that drunk uncle. They have a character that is drunk, <laughs> drunk uncle, uncle right? that is like in reality like. That drunk uncle in your family might actually like cause a lot of problems, right? But like within that within that character in that sketch, you go, "That's so funny. That's my uncle." Okay, right. like, okay, wait, wait, okay. I, so just a quick point. Sorry, yes. to your point, to every point. So another comedian, Jeff Ross, who's known as like the roast master general, because if you ever again, yeah. he's one of those ones that are like, if you don't, if you're like get a, if you were struggle with like harsh comedy or whatever, maybe not go see. Did him. you know that Jeff Ross made fun of me one time? No, but yeah. He, his line is because he's done a couple really interesting projects lately. One was like he did a roast in a jail. Yeah, in a prison. Like, he went and roasted prisoners. Which, which to talk about this roasting like possible victims or not even like victims, <coughs> but people who are out of power, right? Who don't, are completely powerless, right? But he said his line is, "You have to laugh about this stuff, or else you'll just end up crying." Right? So there's going to be something that's going to happen when you yes. think of a situation. You're either going to cry, or you're going to laugh. Laughing maybe is. Maybe it's better. I don't know. Some there are some situations where you should cry, but like the idea yes. is laughter is also, and I'll get into this later. It took this long to get into 
ancient Greeks, but I'll get into this in a minute. The idea of catharsis about, about expunging emotion, like there is some, there's a need to do it in a way. So it's like, to your point, and to your point too, and then we'll get your Jeff Ross story. Um, it's, you have to laugh about this stuff or else you'll just, it'll crush you. Yeah, well, and, and so what Kyle's saying, the drunk uncle thing is, I think everyone who goes, I have a drunk uncle went, we all feel like we're a part of this, even mm -hmm. if it's, even if it's sad. Right. So we, so they invite us into this world and I, so I guess I just thought about this is I grew up without a dad. And mm -hmm. so I make jokes about not having a father and it makes people really, it makes people really uncomfortable, but, <laughs> but it delights me to know. I, yeah. I mean, when I you're, you when, once, <laughs> once you know, once I invite you right, into the right, world, exactly. I've heard some of the best fatherlessness jokes <laughs> And I, I appreciate them, but back to, I think, Jeff Ross's thing is, where I disagree with him is, is you do need to cry about life, but you right. also need to laugh about right. life, because right. that is really, the, yeah. there is, there's both sides to it, and I think, dude, you, you kind of go, dude, drunk uncle, you know, that goes, I love my uncle, and I'm seeing him lose his life, right. but there is a humor behind it in that, like, that is a thing. Right. That is, that is a thing that a lot of families deal with. Mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of go like, hey, there's a lot of people out there that are struggling because they grew up without a father. Yeah. Hey, but like, hey, there's actually, I, but we can actually crack jokes about it and you won't crumble. Right. Like, but only if you can, you can deal with the fact that this right. is real life. So yeah. comedy, comedy kind of, I, I'm just going to keep going back. It exposes real life. Right. No, it does. Like, like Pete Davidson. Man, I just, maybe, yeah, I hear like a lot of people don't watch SNL anymore. I feel like maybe I'm one of the only people. So Pete Davidson, it's the young, too, it's just too late. The young guy, yeah, the young guy on the SNL, only millions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the yeah. young guy on SNL, he was with Snoop Dogg, and there's a video of him going, "Snoop, I saw Soul Plane, and that is the worst thing that has ever happened to me involving an airplane." And if you don't know, Pete Davidson's dad died in 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of those types of jokes. Yeah, though. Like, that, is, that is to my point right, right. there. Is uh -huh. he's not pretending, right? He would never say, "Oh, I don't care." Right. Oh, that's funny. He's going. There's a joke there. Yeah, but he is trying to. He is cutting to the. He is cutting to the core, especially like how uncomfortable he's making Snoop Dogg. Right. Number two, that he knows that fact about it, and number two, he's saying. That's how much I hated Soul Plane. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was your Jeff Ross story? I want to hear that. Oh, it was, we were at, my brothers and I were at the uh, Hollywood Improv. Mm. And if you've never been to the Hollywood Improv, it's like really small. Yeah. Um, and it was Jeff Ross, Dane Cook, Chris D'Elia. Wow. And Eric Griffin, Griffin or Griffith, the guy who is Montez on Workaholics. Um, and I told my brothers, like, listen, let's just not get put in the front row because everybody in the front row gets made fun just of. I was wearing roasted. my black brimmed hat. And so like, I already look very, uh, uh roastable. Yeah. Hollywood. I look like a rabbi. Oh, uh, oh you were in that, but okay. Yeah. You had your long hair. Yeah. 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 And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, so I'm like asking for it. I know this was a mistake. And so they're like, okay, uh, uh, like party of three. And they got us. Our feet were on the stage, <laughs> like like the very front. And so he walks out and he's just like, oh, shalom. We got, a, <laughs> we got the rabbi and his Uber driver here. <laughs> like, it was just anytime he would look over in our direction, 
which is a whole nother a whole nother yeah. discussion yeah. of within even just in everyday life getting roasted mm-hmm. yeah. and ability to get roasted and we meet these people which is <laughs> you know like you know that this guy who is the king he's the king of roasting right. is he's going to go in on you right and i and, and so I, I you have to look at it like this i know it's not like he doesn't it's not like he, he doesn't like not like me. He doesn't even know you. Right. Yeah, he like, actually doesn't like you. He doesn't know. He doesn't right. know you. And like he, he has no it, opinion. It's not that he doesn't like me. Yeah. He doesn't care about me. Yeah. Right. You're neutral, man. You're right. a, you're a you, prop. Yeah. I was just saying you're a prop in his show. And right. That's it's fine. Not, it's not like and so that's part of it too is the sensitivity of the audience not to be like, hey, is he'd be like person. he'd be like. You obviously know that, like, I don't know you. Yeah. Like, yeah. But he also is going, you obviously know you look like a rabbi, right? Yeah. And so if you don't know that, or if you reject, or you got to kind of go, to tell, you that. to tell you that, like, hey, do like, go, go look in the, in the mirror mm-hmm. and be honest because you're going it, it, right. to, so I think, you know, there's these getting back into being offended with mm-hmm. comedy too is, you know, is. You see this in when you're in a group of friends or you walk up into the circle, especially like high school kids, and you know certain groups of friends where you're walking up, they're going to roast you. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go in on your shoes. Right. They're going to go on something, even if it's not very good, but they're going to roast you. And everybody has, I think, a level of, of being roasted. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't know your level, right. then you, you couldn't sit in the front row if you can't be roasted. Like right. everybody has that limit, and so right. comedians do push that limit, right. and they do that, and they kind of go, you know what, deal with it, or right. don't listen to me because right. I'm, the other half of America and Japan will listen to me. <laughs> you know, I don't. Right. They. Right. They just like. Well, I mean, it's the whole thing. Is like, yeah. Especially, I think, especially if you go to a live show, like, like you came here on purpose. Right. You, well, I hear you. You bought the tickets. I hear yeah. comedians talk about that all the time. Like, well, because there's there are some shows where people are given free tickets and they just show up, and those are not great shows usually. But like they're talking about, like when you bought tickets, like what did you expect? And you're like so offended you're walking out right, right. now. Like, did you not know? Right. What did you think was going right. to happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then or, then the other idea is like that, but that also goes to the other side. Like they know people have spent money to show up, so they're gonna make sure that they're doing it well right there's that as well but right, you got it i mean right so it's got to be on both sides you if you're gonna pay you know well it's about, like, about you you sit in the front row jeff ross is the name mm-hmm. jeff ross walks out and he goes i'm gonna give these people their money's worth he didn't even and a comedian just goes see a comedian sees everything right, right. like a point guard right? right and so they walk out and he goes shalom it didn't even it, he couldn't even get it out fast enough. That's how good he is. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? And again, and I mean, here's the biggest thing too. It's not like I was the only person he made right. fun of. Right. If, like, hey, he pretty much did the whole front row. Right. Like, well, and that not only that, but if you do, if you think about it that way, like he's in some ways you're in a honored position of him, like welcoming you into his act. You got like, to be like, you're right, going to be right. part of this. Like, I'm going to make you part of this. You, right. we're, we're in this together now. It's like you and me and then the rest of them. Rather, than, if you can think about it that way, like, like, oh yeah, that's cool to be roasted by Jeff Ross. How many people have had that privilege? One of the, one of the funniest, uh, one of the funniest, I think the largest roasts I've ever seen in any standup was, was back when like Dane Cook was playing like stadiums, like he was doing yeah. like Madison Square Garden. He would at one point during his during his routine goes, you know, I think I'm ready for I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready for like a relationship. So of course, what do all the girls do? They all start screaming, and he goes, no, not 
not sluts. <laughs> and, and, and everybody the rest of died yeah. because all those girls just set themselves up. Yes. And, and, but you have to know this. He doesn't really think that about you. No. Like, he, saw, he saw an opportunity for a joke and went for it. Yeah. yeah. Like, dude, it was, and it's one of those that you were like, oh, I also, like, wasn't expecting that. Right. So that's what's huge, too, than, like, the, is, yeah. like, the unexpected, like. Well, well, that's when you're getting into, like, good comedy, and I've right. heard these guys, I, I wish I could remember where they were talking about it. It might have been on, actually, um, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. I can't remember where I heard this, but they were talking about timing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's they everything. Yeah, and what did you just say, Kyle, was um, the unexpected. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and timings, everything, deliveries, right. everything. So there's an art to, mm-hmm. back to the beginning is, there's an art to what is going on and he has crafted, he's honed his craft. Right. So when, when a stadium full of people respond in one way, he's so prepared on the, that right. and, and his, his artistry, if you will, comes out and goes, boom. Right. right. And he slips it in because he couldn't, if he waited any longer, everyone would have been like, you missed it, man. Right. You missed the timing. But I, I compare that to like a, like when all those girls started cheering, I compare that to like, like a magician where he's doing the setup and you walk right into it. It's a misdirect. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, you thought like, and you thought you were paying attention and things like that. And then you go. Ah, oh, it got me. Well, <laughs> fun. The funny thing is there's actually a lot of comedians who are also really into magic because it's a very similar mm-hmm. performative art where it's like magician, I'm not, in, I'm not as versed on magicians and magic, but <laughs> surprise. Um, but this idea of like... Not uh, a big magician. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Not big in a sorcerer. Yeah, but this idea of like they're, they're doing something that is challenging your perception of the world. Magicians do the same thing, Right. Because you're like, that elephant shouldn't be able to disappear. Oh, it just disappeared. You know what I mean? Like, so is there an <laughs> element of like, this, not deception, but like an ele- the, the element of surprise? Right. I think that Keith had the, a great word. It said misdirection. Yeah, it's yes. misdirection. You, you, you think you know what's happening. You think you know what should. And it's to this. It's why they get to break down walls. It's like, you think you know what should and shouldn't be said. You think you know what can and can't be said. What topics are off limits. And then you go to a comedy show and like, oh, wait, that's not off limits? Oh, they can say that, and you laugh because there's an impulse in you. It's like one, it, there's a there's a whole like it is genuinely funny, but there's also part of that you're like, oh my gosh, like I I didn't know we could do this. We weren't allowed. We're not right. allowed to talk right. about it unless we're behind closed well, doors and right. I can right. say anything. Right. Yeah, that's like the whole racist jokes, and right. they get into all those different yeah. things where they challenge that, and everyone starts getting comfortable. With like. I think we talked about that earlier at, around the dinner table. Right. But nobody's listening, but now right. this guy's doing it. And that's why, and that's even the best like setup punchline jokes are the ones where you don't know what the punchline's gonna be, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it's cheesy jokes are not always fun, or that's why dad jokes are so grown worthy because like you know what's gonna be said for the most part. Like, uh, of course, that's so you your could joke. go clever, but right, exactly. There, there's clever good and there's clever bad, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's Sorry. what's cool yeah. about comedians is there's almost like this level of intellectual reflex that they have to have mm-hmm. because um like back to the you know, them roasting people in the audience, there was at Comic Con one year there's this kid got up and he goes he's talking to Kevin Smith and he goes, um, all of your movies have the same characters over and over again and I just wanna know, do you ever do anything original? And just he goes, Ask your mom and then the entire <laughs> audience just erupts in laughter. So I mean and it was like there was no space between right. his response and yeah. the kid talking. So it, it, that's just impressive to me. Like they're they're prepared to be 
you know, have that kind of situation happen. Yeah, because you would argue that wasn't like genius, but the genius was the quickness. Yeah, right. yeah. exactly. Right? You're right. not like, oh, I wonder if that was like, that just came from within. And you're like, his quickness did. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there's an element of, um, right, like quickness or what's mm-hmm. the other word I'm looking for where it's like, you, I, I know I can't walk into my grandparents' house two steps before my, my grandpa ropes me. Mm-hmm. He right. just my whole life is he and he sees it and he just goes straight for it. Mm-hmm. And then he also I think there's an element to funny people where they also have this this ability to kind of like, I don't know, deconstruct. Right. You're, you kind of go, ah, but I like him. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, he like just said he just called me a rabbi or whatever. But I like it. If you think yeah. about it, like literally a stranger is saying a really offensive thing to you and you're laughing at it. Like, <laughs> right. It's just like if, if you were walking down like the Hollywood Improv, if you were walking down the sunset and just a guy who looked just like Jeff Ross was walking towards you and said the same thing, you'd be like, what the frick, man? Like, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. But you're in a you're in a separate audience, you're in a separate setting, you're like, oh well, that's then that's funny. Right. So it's like it is about environment as well. Like comedy doesn't yeah. work everywhere either. No, you're yeah, you it, couldn't you couldn't you couldn't say that same thing unless maybe you were him and you were known by it, right, but the world right. knew him, and then you would still kind of go, I don't think this is this isn't the place. This. Like, yeah. this isn't right. Well, and and I gr- growing up, anytime find this funny or not, it was ruthless. And I think that's what was you're talking about boundaries, right? Again, in in uh, environments. You know, we'd have a good friend of ours would, any time a good friend of ours would get dumped or break up with a girl, you know, he's in love with or whatever. And someone would really, like, honestly announce that person as they were walking in with their first name and the girl's last name that just dumped him. And <laughs> oh. brutal. brutal. Oh, but ouch. we all found it to be hilarious. And that was kind of a, a joke that we had within our group. Right. And we would, we would just absolutely r- rip each other apart with, the the depths of our soul like the right. things that touched us most mm-hmm. were not off the table and that was the that was the kind of group that we were in mm-hmm. and so if you weren't in on that and you couldn't handle that in that environment you but you wanted to be involved in that right. environment you you have to you have to come to a, a place and go I know who I am and who I am is someone who cannot handle that so if you can't handle that you can't go to a improv right. club you right. can't you can't watch it because you're going to have to turn the TV off because you go ah, he, he, they're offending my pseudo right. whatever, you know. Um, well, the, Daniel Tosh says, if you have ever used the phrase, there's nothing funny about, and then insert whatever, right. he goes, we probably wouldn't get along. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, I, but you know what? I think part of that is looking at that context is like you had a group of friends who decided like, look, we're going to be friends. We're going to let each other in. We're, there's a vulnerability in comedy. On both sides, because we've all been in a room, said a joke, no one's laughed, and died inside. Yes. Right? Like, we've all done that. Too many times. So it's like, so it's like, (laughs) so there's a part of it that's like, you also have to think about it from their perspective, like the person, the stand-up comedian, the guy on stage, the guy in the movie, whatever, like, they're throwing something of themselves out at you, and by like, Dikembe Mutombo swatting it away and wagging your Mm -hmm. finger, you're like, basically saying, I'm rejecting you. Right, because there's some of themselves in that, right? Uh, no, absolutely. Right, so it's like, so I think we all need to agree that if you're good, like, comedy is both ways. Like, it's right. two ways. Like, there's and, a vulnerability that goes both ways. Well, Absol- and, absolutely. And they're like, I need to go with the stuff. I need to go with stuff that 
I it was gonna pretty it's gonna pretty much guarantee I'm gonna get a reaction. Right. I would rather people like gasp than like crickets. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's something in that where it's like we all have to realize that there's some intimacy in comedy that we need to be okay with. And if you're not okay with intimacy <laughs> and vulnerability, that's kind of your problem, right? You need yeah. to be able to deal with that. On and comedy can help you deal with that. Well, I think I think too. Going back to him, he. Seinfeld talks about the the road of rejection as a, right. as a stand up and those who make it and those who don't and he even in one of his episodes he's like um, he's talking about this horrible actor comic on the show and how she needs to just give up already and get spit out of the end, the other end of the porn industry because that's that's the <laughs> that she's so terrible that that's kind of the right. trajectory of her life if she keeps going this way and part of that too, and you hear other comedians talk about how getting up there night after night after night, even like a mu- musician who's going right. and performing, and then finally someone goes, "You have a voice," right. taps in that you find get a following, and I don't know why I'm going there, but I think I've heard rappers like Kanye talk about or Drake talk about um, going and performing at these clubs back then. Mm-hmm. And now they would have to have, they would sell it out 20 nights in a row just to get enough, just to be able to see everyone who would want to see them, right? right? And so comedians have to go up there and like, no one knows them. No one cares about you. Right. And you got to go try and tap it. And then you tap into a room of 50 people. They're going to yeah. go tell the world. Like, yeah. so there's, there's just this journey of them actually getting up and expressing right or wrong, right. what they're actually going through, thinking through, and then they're going to deliver it. Right. Which is fascinating when you get into vulnerability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This is a random question. It's going to seem really sudden. We've talked about this a little bit. What makes good comedy then? Because mm. we were having a discussion right before we started recording about two very different versions of one thing. So. What may. Well, I mean, we kind of touched on that. It's a little, ti- timing, right. but, intellect. Okay. So let's just get into it then. Because the, this is where we're. we're just go ahead and ask yeah, it, yeah. Keith. Why, Kyle, why do you like the American office? <laughs> Travis, why do you like the British office? I'll start. <laughs> Let's make it a good, clean fight, fellas. Yeah. Um, why am I right and he's wrong? Is that what you no, just asked? No, but seriously, because like, I think this yes, part of this discussion yeah, yeah. of like, why do we like certain comics yes. and not like other comics? It's... Or com- comedies. I, I think a lot of it is... Well, hold on. We got to go back to the fact you don't like the British version. Right. Well, so, so I don't like the British version, but it's not like... It's, it's not like I don't just like the, like the British office. There's like all these other things within like British comedy that I do like. I just don't really like British comedy. Like everybody in British comedy is like John Cleese to me. <laughs> like, like, or where like they think he's like hilarious. So you're like, not a Monty Python fan? No, okay. dude. And like, and I was actually going to get to that. Is I can't tell you how many people growing up were like, "Have you seen Monty Python? It's so funny." And I'm like, that like makes me want to like throw myself through a window, um, just like that. And like, and the only time that I think I like uh, someone, even like Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm is when he is catering to an American audience. Uh, like, when he's, like, hosting the Emmys right. and things like that and, like, and like roasting people, which is not really a British style of comedy. 
Um, they're kind of two completely different things, though. Like, you have a British comedy is more, like, dry and more, I guess, in the background, mm-hmm. I, I guess would be a good way to phrase that. Whereas yeah, I don't like that. American comedy is more, like, in your face. It's and, very broad. It's yeah. very... Sli- it, 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 there's slapstick. There's a lot of... There's a longer tradition of life but, that way. But, but also, like, I have to be specific, too, when we're saying, like, American comedy, because I also don't think, like, Adam Sandler's funny. Like really? I, I thought he was funny. Like like older yeah. movies, like Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, things like that. Oh like, yeah, I, his older I, stuff. I, I can right. get down with those, but not like Grown Ups. Right, right. <laughs> so you loved the Hanukkah song? I did. Really? Did but you, I was that's also terrible. I was like twelve. That's so. That's I was like twelve. Silly, I was too. It's silly though. <laughs> no, you, no weren't. you weren't. If I was twelve, you, you were, were like 18. you were like twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wait, you just turned twenty seven, dude. That's why like, I got five years. I tell, I tell, I yeah, you have six. six. That's why I tell people when Travis says our age, the first thing I say is, we are not the same age. <laughs> you just look old, man. Yeah, I know. I look young. I know. Some well, look- so here's here's what here's where I'm coming from is going back to I think. And, and you know it's funny. I've never seen uh, was it Mighty Python? Mighty Python. You've never seen any of them? Mighty Python? No, you I would, haven't. You would love them. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I, I've seen clips and it didn't draw me in, but I also right. think there's a time and a place right. in which you are, that things hit you at different right. seasons. And so I just feel, I feel a little bit like if you don't like the British version, you're just, your palate hasn't advanced. Oh. Well, so, and so, so <laughs> but so here's, but, but here's where I'll be fair. Subjective beauty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, now we're Josh. back. We're um, back. <laughs> here's what, here's what, the the thing about when people say when people say, oh the British version of The Office sucks, I go, that's the show though. That's the show that you actually like because the American version came right. out of right. the British version, consented to doing it, stole all the jokes, characters, awkwardness, or whatever you love about it. What I'm saying is, I know that the the American version actually has funny things in it. Right, and I'm not even saying I wouldn't like it. I just, I my whole point is, is why would I, why would I watch the lesser version <laughs> or listen to the lesser version of greatness? That's what I feel about the British. Version. But so here's my here's but my you've question. Never even, have you ever watched it? I have. I watched several episodes. Of when the did you watch it? Mm, within the past couple of years. Okay, and so what you and here's the other deal too is when it gets into this American office. If it, it seems that on the, like, if we were going to go do a mass poll, the one that you love the most is the one that you saw first. And what Probably, you do yeah. automatically is you compare the two, which is, which they're, which if anything, if you're going to do comparing, you're going to go like, well, like you robbed, you robbed it. Like you didn't rob right. it, but you were told like, right. yeah, you could do this on the American level. And then it developed like into 13 seasons or whatever. And so probably like, I don't know, one too many. But yeah, that's the that's an American television thing. But right. but I think there is a again. I'm going to get into this. Is when it when it gets into comedy, I think there's echelons of comedy, well, and right. I and I think that there is for me. I I I like smart comedy. I like things I, that which is which is a very arrogant statement. But you go things that it's reach, a very humble opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very humble. In my very humble opinion, I like smart comedy. I go ahead. But that's. So you kind of go, these guys that are making bathroom jokes, say, yeah, 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 but tell me something like good. I want, I want to think. Mm-hmm. I want you to invite me into a genius. Mm-hmm. And these geniuses are doing that. And so you, 
you kind of, I, I think you go, I think the British version, I just don't even understand how you can like the American and not like the British. Can, knowing- can we talk for a set real quick though? Like how genius as a writer you have to be to successfully adapt a British TV show into a, an American TV show and have it be successful. Well, so here's, here's, here's what I was going to say. Okay. I think there's a difference between liking something and respecting something. For yeah. example, I see it like, I see it like this. The original iPhone versus the iPhone 7. You can't have the iPhone 7 without the original iPhone. And so you have to respect the innovation and what went into creating the original iPhone. But you go, but look at where it is now. It's obviously better. It's not and better, though. And, That's, but, 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 which is in but your on, so opinion. I, no, but what I'm saying is I think that... But and so I would say if it was so good, how did it only go two seasons? That well, was his plan. That's a that's a British television thing. They it only goes two seasons. They usually only go one or two seasons. Well, yeah, in it, they, yeah, they he, call he says series. he says I'm gonna do two seasons and a Christmas yeah. special, and that's it. It wasn't yeah. because it didn't do well. No, but most people most, cried over it. Like Peaky Blinders was originally a BBC thing, and it only had one season. Like that was the whole point. Like but, a lot of them only go. Maybe it wasn't, but there was perfect. like, but there's only one in the BBC. <sighs> they usually only do. One or two seasons, two, just three, three is like right. a like a hit, like I, a smash. You hit. know, it's funny. It goes to my. I think it goes. To, it's it's only adding on to my like British versus American too. It's like I watched Peaky Blinders and like. Well, I mean, that's and, not I really like comedy. It. And but, as, but, but I think maybe just British in general, except Love yeah. Actually. Love Actually. What do you got against the Brits, man? Have you guys seen <laughs> Have you guys seen Love Actually? No. Yeah. No, why would I watch that? You should, dude. Hey, it's it's actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's great, dude. Um, but, but if you're a British actor, like every British actor is in Love Actually. Well, it's like also, a rite of passage. And and uh, you're saying it's Rick funny? from Walking Dead. You're saying it's, it's funny. Yeah. It's a Christmas movie. It's not like a comedy. It kind of is, but it's not like a comedy. It's comedy. like a romantic comedy. It's right? a rom com. Yeah, yeah. Are we talking about comedy? See. I mean, hey. there's, it's in the it's in the title <laughs> of the genre <laughs> romantic comedy. I'm not the, saying they're there's great. There's some questionable but, things in the movie, so I can't so officially you all the British things, but love actually. <laughs> no, maybe. But, okay. So, but here's <laughs> the thing. And David, I love them. <clears throat> of course. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Keith. <laughs> but here's the. Th- so I, I agree. But here's what I think is interesting about comedy is like, why do we have to say to your point, Travis? Like, why do we have to say something is not funny? Instead, we could say like, "I don't, I just don't like it. It's not my type of humor." Because well, there's like, you you can't say Seinfeld's not funny. You can right. say you don't like him. That's right. Fine. You can say like, "I'm not into his type of standard." Although you're not a fan of comedy if you don't like Seinfeld. That's true. <laughs> you just you just I, don't like. I'm it sorry that. if you were gonna yeah. we're gonna sit across the table and argue to the death. Yeah, you're. You like, just I just found the name of the episode. Thanks, guys. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you but, don't like Seinfeld, but also like, to say you don't, like, don't like the American Office, Ricky Gervais is still. Like an executive producer of the American. Which is, right. I don't say that. I say that I think the British version is better, and I've conceded over time. I had to staunchly dig my heels in in a way where I'm like, that's whack. But I go, no, there is funny lines in it, and I'll say that all day long. This is why people who tell me, they go, oh, I hate Seinfeld. And then I'll, I'll tell them about a scene in Seinfeld without them knowing it's about Seinfeld, and they laugh, and I go, you like Seinfeld? Uh, the old bait and switch. That's oh. right. <laughs> but that's true. I mean... So recently, my wife and I've been like, I didn't watch Friends when it was mm-hmm. coming out, so we've been running through it, and it's funny. Like there are funny moments, yeah. it's, but it's it's very formulaic. It's very beat, like you know the beats and all that, which is fine. Like I don't mind. Sure, that. there are funny moments. Um, do I think it's the funniest show I've ever seen? Not by a long shot, um, but I enjoy it. 
Yeah. Because um, it's got broad humor. It's got this, like, these situations. But if you say things. Phoebe's the funniest, you're wrong. So, right. This I mean, Joey's clearly the funniest. Clearly. Questionable. Which one do you think is Who do you think is the funniest? Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> Ross's dad. Oh. No. Uh, I, no, I'd be right. But. No, no, but I, I... Go on, go on. Keep saying what you're saying. Yeah, so I, I just think, like, I would watch it because it's on Netflix and it's something for my wife and I to do in the summer. Okay, but, like, so here's But it's point. not something I would choose to... Like, I w- I'm going to pay money to go see John Mulaney. I would not pay money to see... Ross Keller do stand up? Uh, yeah, I would not pay money to see Friends, right? Well, it just happens is, to be. A, you pay for Netflix. You do yeah, pay well, money to watch Friends. No, I, but I could never watch Friends and I'm not paying money to watch it. Like, I'm not paying, like, I'm going to pay money to see it, to see a, a certain Sam Comedy, but I'm not. I have Netflix not watch one movie and one movie only. You're doing, you're doing that, leading, you're doing you're that now. Your <laughs> no. Hold on. Will, they, okay, so you. Like, this idea is like, I, would, I wouldn't go out of my way. To, like, I'm not going to subscribe to Netflix. I'll do it this way. I wouldn't subscribe to Netflix just because Friends is on Netflix. So you, so here's where, here's what you, you made me think about is, is basically this is, I think when it comes to certain comedy, I think there's, um, I think a lot of it is. So I'm a huge. I love Arrested Development. Right. I love it's always. I I I love. Um, what is is it? I'm okay. So recently, I am. Watching more Parks and Rec, mm. um, which is a was, I will say is a better version of the American Office. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the iPhone Seven uh, of right, right. Kyle. No, those were also those were simultaneous. Right. I, but, no, no. But, they, but yeah. so then Portlandia. I love Portlandia. Portlandia is great. And so and so. Okay. So here's my deal. I I know people like who do don't like it's always sunny. And I go, oh, that's interesting. I thought you because I know I know you like right. this person. I go. I thought you would like it. Like multiple women are like, oh, I've never seen it. And I think there's a part of us, I think there's a part in all of us that we reject comedy for certain comedians or certain TV uh, comedy shows for different reasons. And I also think that there's there's different seasons in our lives when we're more ready to watch things. And there's also reality that we'll just never like certain things. Mm -hmm. But I think there's, I think, and I've heard this over and over, and there's, there's there's younger kids, younger generations, they don't watch Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you'll meet this like sophomore in high school who's like loves Seinfeld. And I go, you're a special person. You're, hey, there's <laughs> that something is true. there's something there's special true. about you. And, I, and I'm telling you, this goes back to it. it's a level of intellect that this kid has right. that he can hear the voice of Seinfeld and recognize the genius involved in it. Now, now someone who says that's not genius and goes, and I don't like it. I go, there's something wrong with you because you have to say like, no, there's, there is qual it's quality. Right. We can, we can say that's a quality comedian. I just don't care. I see that millions of people. And there's something about that (sighs) person. I wonder if it's this, I wonder if this is part of people's reactions when they say like, this person isn't funny is they don't want to be told that they don't like comedy. Or that they don't have a sense of humor. Because everybody... It's funny because like people will ad- ad readily admit that like maybe they're not as smart as other people. People will readily admit like they don't like certain things or don't yes. like horror or whatever. But I've, it's hard to meet someone who will like openly admit I don't have a sense of humor. 
And when you tell someone, like, if you don't like Seinfeld, you don't like comedy, people are like, no, he's just not funny. I'm like, no, he is funny. You don't have a good sense of humor. You, I, people I think don't want to hear that. No, but I think that's a, a part of it is I think people are limited in... <laughs> right. <laughs> that, like, honestly. But do you think that's part of the reaction of, like, he's not funny? Someone like that is... When you I, say, like, someone like that is not funny. I think, I think a lot of times people want to be the one who discovers it. Mm. And so if I didn't discover it, mm-hmm. then... I don't want to admit, I want to be the one that tells you about it. I, right. I come across these types of people, especially with music. Hipsters. You go, you go hey, check this song out. Comedy, and, comedy hipsters. Comedy yeah, yeah. hipsters. <laughs> I mean, of all the, I've, I've heard, listened to, talked to some comedy hipsters. Of all the types of hipsters, they're pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comedy hipsters are pretty would bad. Would you say, I have a question. Would you say that a lot of times, too, with like, when somebody doesn't think like Sunny is funny, Sunny's funny. Uh, when somebody doesn't think like uh, it's always sunny, it's funny, or like or like Family Guy, do you think a lot of times it's because it's pretty crass? And so, like, especially within like especially within like a Christian community, you're like, I don't think I'm allowed to think that's oh, funny. I don't even want to get into you know what I, you know what no, I mean? no, that's a, that's that's a, a really whole good point. Other topic. I, yeah. <laughs> but but you made me think of associations. So it's like, so it's like inside, you're like, mm-hmm, but you're like, I'm not allowed to laugh at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're dying to. You're dying. You're gonna go over to your buddy's house that your parents let you go over and watch the show. Yeah. You're not allowed. To, you're not. You're, yeah. you're gonna go to your friend's house to watch The Simpsons because you're not allowed to watch. The Simpsons right. At so home. you're you're right. holding in a laugh and like literally just physically denying that it's so. Funny. So I think a lot of times to your point is. I don't even know if this is what you're saying, but is I think a lot of times we we stop ourselves from liking something because we've associated it with something right. that we've decided isn't mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, and you haven't given it you haven't given it its due. You you haven't sat there. You haven't like okay, and I'll, I'll go back to music. I know for me in music to give a fair shot at an album, I have to be in like the right state of mind. Right. Because what I don't want to do is ruin the opportunity of me encountering a great album. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, and that's just, I know that's me. That might not right. be everybody where um, I, I, I almost started rejecting this one artist right. because of this one thing or this other part of that person. And I went, oh, that was dumb because I was missing out on this great right. music all because I had an association right. or because I needed, I had, I had to fill the need to compare the two mm-hmm. or to make sure that like my first love is better than, I can't replace it. There's this nostalgia. There's this kind of right. like, well, and, and going back to it, there is this personal, right. there's this personal thing when you tell someone you don't know comedy if you don't like them. It's like, well, that's not the best approach. Invite them right. into it. And that's why I do these subtle things with Seinfeld because I want other people to be in on how genius he is mm-hmm. and Larry David's writing and, and all that. And I would even say like there's like the first four seasons of Kirby Enthusiasm with Larry David, I thought were incredible. And then I started losing interest. I don't know why. I don't know if I felt like they weren't doing as great of a job right. for me personally or because it was a new season in my life where I was like interested in something else. Right. Do you think too that it's like a lot of people will say, that they don't like something because they're too stubborn to give it a try. Like at the same, like that, exactly. If, yeah. if someone tells me, I'm like, they're like, "Hey, you need to try this new Rocky Road ice cream," but I'm like, "I really like vanilla. I don't want to do that." So if you're like, "Hey, you need to listen to Seinfeld," and they're like, eh, "I just, I like, I prefer Dane Cook," but they they don't want to like give it a, a fair shot. So they yeah. say it's not funny without even like. You know, giving it. Yeah, that's right. exactly. I'm afraid the thing that you're suggesting is going to be better than the thing that I already like. Yeah, yeah. and what yeah. it does is yeah. it says that I don't 
I'm not the one that discovered. There might be many variables to that. Mm-hmm. Just a natural rejection. Right. And uh, so it's like the moment you tell me this is what I should like, uh-huh. you got to, don't tell me what I should like. Right. So you're also going to actually like try and not like it. Which right. is, which is that, which is, that was my point. And I can admit that because I've seen it in myself. Right. Whereas I probably will never sit down and commit to the American office, but no longer because I need to go. Nope. I need to be associated with a group that likes the British version. Mm-hmm. I just go, I love the British version. I know that that show is funny. I know it's funny because you and I talk about it and you give me lines. I'm like, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really good. Yeah. But I don't know if I want to commit to 13 seasons, not because I'm going to go, no, I'm not going to watch it. It's because I'm just at that, I'm at a place in my life. I'm like, I'm not interested in, in spending the time for 13 seasons. It has right. nothing right. against the show anymore. There's nine. There's nine seasons. Hey, and and also, too, like, to to Kyle's point, like, one of the reasons I think the American office is genius is because you see a lot of other shows, like uh, like Top Gear in Britain is, like, (laughs) their highest rated show ever made, but they have yet to successfully adapt it into American... American media, uh, TV. But that's assuming they want to. Yeah, 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 but it's just, it takes... Oh, they've tried? They've tried. Like, most of... When we take a British TV show, an, another example is I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Inbetweeners. It's like a it was a huge like teen show on BBC, and we tried to adapt it into like an MTV show. It failed after two episodes. So I think that it does take a level of genius to successfully create an American yeah. version of a British well, television what is it, show. Top Gear. Top. Yeah. Well, Top Gear is one. And then it's there's the comedy, but it's yeah. Not cars. Pro- well, here's it, I would push back and I'd go. I would say this is obviously there's a genius in that, but I would say it's because the genius was already, the genius is the show and the show is just a mirror image. And that, that like comedy, what he tapped into was a new voice, right? Like with, within the office. And I would say, I guarantee you top gear is just a trash show. Top gear, top gear is like triple D for cars. To where, like, and you know you know what I mean? No, I, like, no, it's I, like, it's like it's not like it's not like a sitcom or something like that. It's like guys so like it's a like, reality show. But yeah, it is, like interview it, guys and it test is, out cars and things like it that. It is those the three guys that do it are really funny though. Right. Well, so what I would say is I think the reason there is well, and and I think to Travis's point, like try, don't you don't need to do an American version of that kind of show. Just import the British version. Right. Like just just show the British version. Yeah, on that's American such an TV. American thing to even think. Like right. we need to. Right. But but what I'd say is I think what what. The only reason I would say something like The Office did need to be adapted is because I'm sure office culture in Britain and America is different, right? So they need to adapt it to some degree, right? Sure. But my point, what I was going to say is like, I think this points to something else in comedy that we have touched on, but not really. It's like kind of what you were saying, Travis, how it touches into truth. Like there's a good comedy has a certain universality to it that should be able to transcend those sorts of boundaries of language or culture or anything like that. Like, there's something, some sort of nugget in it that can and should be true to a lot of people, right? So again, a lot of comedians, there's difference between, there's like LA comedians, there's Chicago comedians, there's mm-hmm. New York comedians, then there's like Midwest comedians, like there's people who, and, and the best comedians can adapt their act to those audiences, right? That right. Can, can, or their act is so transcendent, like Jerry Seinfeld, that he doesn't have to adapt it. Yeah, it's just true to He's even loved by people in other countries. Right, so, I mean, so it, just, it just goes, it, he can just take it anywhere. Right. But the, a good comedian and a, and a really great comedian can also take something that works because they grew up in L.A. and adapt it to something that someone in St. Louis can uh, 
can also you know find coming out yeah who are the yeah. who are the, the the traveling they were like the what do they call them like hillbilly white trash dudes oh, oh like, blue collar comedy tour yeah, yeah like, like jeff fox I feel like they yeah, had yeah. an audience right and they and had like, to find that and, audience and some of their mm-hmm. stuff was funny to me but some of it i'm just like mm-hmm. I, that's can't not relate my to it like, yeah i've never like well and you're not yeah. going to understand certain things like george right. lopez's first like right. albums he has his bit about um you know Hispanic culture and some of the things and the way in which they interact and like I have a lot of family that is Mexican I grew up around a lot of Mexicans uh, for quite some time and so and I had I have friends and so I understand what he was talking about right and he has this moment where he talks about the 14 year old or the the kid in the house Frankie and the grandma yells out hey Frankie what time is it and he yells out 14 because the only clock in the house is a microwave (laughs) <laughs> and it was still on 14 seconds. And so what makes that even funnier is I guarantee you a lot of Mexicans in certain cultures would be like, yeah, man, that was the only clock. Like, otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. Right. And he wouldn't have tapped into a certain right. demographic. Right. Well, that was the same thing like you and I were talking about. Everybody was coming up to me and telling me, like, dude, you have to watch the new Netflix special by Joe Coy. And then I said... I said, I'm looking at it, and he's like, and I heard a little bit of it, and he seems like he's Filipino, and it's probably going to be a lot of Filipino jokes, and I'm not going to understand it, like about yeah, like, if you don't Filipino culture, and they're like, no, 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 like, trust me, you're going to think it's super funny, and several of these several of these guys like have like Filipino backgrounds, and, right. that, and I'd watch it, and they'd be talking about like yeah. like Filipino culture and, and things in his yeah. life, and I'd be like... I like don't relate to any none yeah. of this has ever happened. And even happened if you and even if you they can explain it to you, it doesn't hit a it doesn't strike a there's, chord with you. Because there's nothing worse than an explained joke. Yeah. Right. The reason the reason like that are talking about like are talking about like a very specific right. culture. Yes. It's really only funny if the culture is relatable. Well, exactly. And that's why I found George Lopez to be really funny because a lot of my aunts and uncles who I grew up around are Mexican and they, I just saw things and they, they were always talking about certain things that all of a sudden I heard, I I get that. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's, it's the reference point. A lot of it is reference points. So comedy is based on references. And if you don't share the references, it's not going to be funny. Yes. Right. Right. You're just not going to get it. And not only that, you're going to be resistant to it because you're going to feel left out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone, like if you're in a room, because this is another worst feeling. Not only is like saying a joke to a room full of people and it not react like nothing, but like being in a room full of people and being the only one not laughing, <laughs> not because you don't think it's funny, but because you don't get it. Right. Is the worst feeling. Right. Like they were all laughing specifically at this because, uh, uh, because <laughs> I like all the jokes. That's <laughs> sorry. They were all laughing because like like. Joe Coy was like there was some sort of like slang, right. like half Asian, half like gibberish, like not really a real word uh, that they were that they were using for male genitalia. Okay. And as he said it, like all these guys I was with were cracking up, but they're all cracking up because they're like, that's like what my grandma used to say. And I'm like, yeah. my grandma never. He said like they called it like like his like like his pock pock. Or something like that, and, like, and so maybe you're hearing that right now, and you're laughing because you're right. like, "That's funny." But I was sitting there like, "This is the first time I'm hearing that." <laughs> like, white white grandmas don't talk about genitalia. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. no. I think all, I would be horrified if my grandma even mentioned my genitalia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so and so certain like things like that, where I'd be like, 
That's just like I understand that's funny to you because like you grew up and so like hearing that again right. is like right. hilarious. But I'm sitting there like, um, I just, this is just like not landing with me. Right. Like just because right. I I'm new. So yeah. yeah. So to your point, right? That's that's your point is different comedians and just comedy in general. Right. There's there's kind of like you're saying this trend. There's this almost like. Really, right. I don't know. You would even say really good comedy, but right. on some level, it, it almost seems like you would have to argue that there is better comedy because right. that comedy it doesn't even mean that everybody's gonna like it as much as that man. That's I I think in terms of smart comedy right. or smart comedians and but but the best comedy and a lot of times the smartest comedians as well tap into some tap into more of a general human experience and a specific human experience that's not like to say just that a cultural the, right that's not to say that yeah. those cultural and specific experiences aren't funny exactly they are and sometimes they may even be funnier than the universal stuff if it lands with you in a, in a in a way that you understand it because it's speaking to you right maybe that's why the british versus american thing is so like it tends to fall along certain like if you're British you like that if you're American because there's certain points where it's speaking to you directly right like again going back to the start like John Mulaney's bit on the president uh, the politics and the president like may not be as funny elsewhere because if he goes to somewhere where they don't have like a democracy or like that sort of system people are like I don't know what you're talking about it may it may land who knows like I'm not saying it doesn't but that's it there's a specific thing that's happening we have a rougher landing right it just may not work as well it may be funny but it just nailed what we were going through right now. And I just laughed so hard because it was something that I was going through. Yes. Right? And maybe even 10 years from now, maybe it's not as funny because it's not an immediate moment thing. Like, who knows? So th- there's this sense where, again, Seinfeld's talking about a lot of, like, some of his earlier joke, Like, one, the stand-up special, I'm telling you for the last time, there was a chunk on, like, airplanes and airports. And, like... It's funny. It's funny to me because I'm in America. I'm in, I'm affluent. I can fly. No whatever. But it's like you've never flown. You're like I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So even what I consider like in the top five comedians of all time tells a joke and maybe it just doesn't land with someone. And in that sense, I can't say he. I can't say like you don't like comedy. You just don't like you don't have the same reference. So. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Guys, sorry Ryan's been such a chatterbox this yeah. episode. We're just having trouble keeping him quiet. Yeah. By the way, Ryan's not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan is in, he's flying back from Colorado, Colorado probably right now. He's probably in the air, speaking of airplanes. Classic yeah. Ryan. Classic Ryan. Just, just a jet setter. Yeah. <laughs> a jet setter. So we're going to have a live event. Uh, so if you've enjoyed the podcast to this point and you're in the 
Long Beach, Orange County area. I guess if you're farther away, you can drive. Can you say the greater Long Beach? Yeah. Greater Long Beach area. Yes, and the greater Long Beach you can area. come from anywhere. You can come from anywhere. But if you're in the area um, around Long Beach State, we're going to be having a live event on September 29th. It's a Friday. It's going to start at 7, and it's at... Uh, Am I saying the location yet? Hope Community Church. Yeah, Hope, Hope Community Church. Do you want me to give out the address, or or do you want to wait for promotion on that? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll put all the details okay. out. We put the uh, details out as we check, solidify them. Check Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and all that. So, so yeah, so if you have if you wanted to come to a live event, we're going to be having some maybe some music, maybe a different speaker, and then ending with a live. What about this? And we're probably going to be doing some question and answers. So if you've had some burning questions that you wanted to ask the four of us. Um, bring them out. We'd love to see you. Keith will be doing a live autograph signing. That um, is not true. In a three-minute stand-up bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and maybe and maybe oh, some stand-up do comedy. Not, do not make this. It's too late. I think once if you ask him to, he if will. you say it on a podcast, it's now. It has say to it happen. On a podcast. No, I said it on a, oh, just now. Oh, we okay. just sold six tickets after you said that. Mm. So the, the thanks, the, mom. The lines are <laughs> the lines are the lines are really lighting up right now. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, yeah. Uh, September 29th, right? Yeah. Uh, September 29th uh, in Long Beach. Uh, be on the lookout for that. It is. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Anything else, Travis? You wanna? Anything else? Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Tra- hey, Travis. Is there anything else you wanna say? Do you want me to pray for us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna pray us out real quick. It's the only thing I felt like was appropriate. Oh, I don't know. Does Josh and Keith want to advertise your other podcast? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Fam- so, somebody's feeling hurt. About this is this. family business. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, Kyle is super upset that I decided to maybe record another podcast with some other friends of mine. Yeah, I, I have other friends. I don't think it was how I. I don't think it was that it's happening. I think it was how I found out. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I didn't tell you that one. No, yeah, I found <laughs> out. You're a double digit. I found out via Facebook. Uh, all right. Well. Yeah, clearly we're gonna have to have some. Uh, hey, Travis, can you? Give he us asked some- me to be on it. I, just, I, I, I was rejected like, his. Travis, like, can you? Can you be? Doing some couples counseling for Kyle and I. I feel like we need it. You're like, oh, we're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> this no. would be the best of it. It's like we're gonna be doing another podcast. Uh, it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be totally different from this though. It's gonna be Keith and Ryan and Travis, and we just have like this other fourth guy. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's gonna, totally different. It's yeah. gonna be called What About That? You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't like it. It's a good guy. <laughs> the other guy is named Kyle, but it's not this Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he anyway. might actually start joining us on this one. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we need to find another Ryan, apparently. Yeah. So if you are in the greater Long Beach area <laughs> and your, and name, your is name is Ryan, Ryan, boy, do we have an opportunity for you. We have a, we'll put, be putting a listing out on Craigslist. You really so. don't have to say much. <laughs> you can even you, fly yeah. to yeah. places while we record. <laughs> so you, you don't even have to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, this has gone on too yeah, long. Yeah, we have gone off the rails. <laughs> I forgot that we were still recording. Yeah. Um, so anyway, live event, September 29th. Be on the lookout for promo for that. Please. Thanks for listening. Hey, what if I said in the flesh? <laughs> How embarrassed would you be? What if you just said it? What? I know what I was mocking. <laughs> Guys, there will be no nudity at this show. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hey, hopefully this podcast sounds better too. We got new mics. Oh, yeah. Thanks to yeah. producer Josh. Yeah, producer Hey-o. Josh sort of fixed our, our... So if we were sounding like echoey in the last ones and we sound much better in this one... Why are you laughing? I thought you were going to say something else. And I was like, dang, Keith, get it. I don't know what you were going to say. Anyway, let's just go. Yeah, this outro has gone on far too long. (laughs) All right. We clearly haven't been in the recording.
studio. This is this ever is not recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We don't have a recording studio. We're in a basement right now. Anyway, what about this? If you guys episode nine, and if you guys want to find us, look us up on. We're up on Facebook, Podbean. YouTube, iTunes, and if you could review us on iTunes, that'd be great because mm, yeah. iTunes reviews are the currency of the realm. Mm. You can also find us on Match.com and Tinder. So, <laughs> so if you see, what about this? Swipe right. <laughs> Swipe right. It's always going to be but Josh. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yes. Venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. That's uh, to us people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.